Welcome to School of Everything Else. Bojack Horseman, Seasons 2, 3 and 4. We are back to continue talking about one of the best animated comedy dramas ever made. With us again are Karu Nagisa. Hello there. And Debbie Morse. Hooray! Of Sequentially Yours. And official denizen of Hollywood, Maya Santandria. Hello, everyone. Okay, so spo- uh, same as last week, spoilers for each season as we go along. So stop when you reach the one you're up to. And then you may as well come back when you finish season four, just so you don't have to keep stopping and starting. Otherwise, it's going to be very sort of stop, start, stop, start. So we're going to start off with season two, where Bojack is making the Secretariat biopic and gets involved with Wanda, an owl voiced by Lisa Kudrow, who's been in a coma for 30 years and has no frames of reference for modern culture. It's time to drop the bomb. And yes, folks, I said duh, not the. Basically, what I'm trying to say is it's a positive bomb. Audience, let's drop the bomb. Did you guys all practice before the show? Because that was... Ladies and gentlemen, we've had some fun with our little celebrity, but now let's meet our big celebrity. Big celebrity? Say hello to Daniel Radcliffe. I am Daniel Radcliffe. Hello. Oh, my God, it's Daniel Radcliffe. We'll find out what our big celebrity knows right after this break. And we're out. Oh, now we're cooking now. Hey, you, you're doing great. Not 100% watching because I'm so engrossed in the second screen experience, but according to the second screen experience, other people are loving the show. You didn't tell me there was going to be another celebrity. Well, I had no idea that was coming, but some guy named Dong Slinger 420 loved the surprise. He said two dongs way up. So there was no mention of another bigger celebrity in the document you faxed me. Oh, I couldn't read it. My fax machine cut it up into little strips. That sounds like a shredder. Yeah, well, I guess I shredded it to you. Ooh, all right, I got to deal with this. If I don't interact with this app every 80 seconds, it charges my credit card $5. Love ya. I love you, too. Could you try and get the base a little less pale? Hey, Daniel, good to see you. Always nice to meet a fan. No, I'm sorry, I'm not a, uh, I'm an actor. Oh, good for you. It's a dreadful business, but hang in there. No, I already did hang in there. I'm Bojack Horseman. We've actually met before at Chris Martin's holiday party. Mm. We stepped outside for a smoke. To get away from Chris Martin? Huh. You opened up about your fear of success. I gave you some advice. You said I was a true friend and you would never forget me. And you said your name was Chadwick Boseman? Bojack Horseman. Oh, I'm sorry. When you're as famous as I am, you meet so many people. Um, sorry. We need you guys back on set. Hey, you were the second hairdresser's assistant on The Ellen Show about five years ago. Veronica, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. How was your mother's party in the end? <sighs> and we're back in five. I feel like in in retrospect, like like it, this feels like a while ago in BoJack that um, mm. 
like this whole this relationship was kind of not so much dead in the water, but like it, we knew it wasn't really going to go far when he said "love you," no, I don't, and then ran off at this point. So, d- did it feel to you guys like Wanda was good for Bojack? I don't know if she was necessarily good for Bojack. Bojack was not good for her, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if at that point in Bojack's life anybody could be good for him. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's kind of what I was thinking too, is that it just seemed like a bad time for him to be with anyone at all. Hmm. Mm. I think as well, one of the key things about Wanda is this coma means that she is a perfect escape for him. She doesn't, I mean, she knows who he is in the abstract, but she doesn't think of him as the horse from horsing around like everyone else does. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of, yeah, that's the major thing that he latches on to mm. with her is that, hey, she knows nothing about me. He can kind of start with a clean slate with her almost. And then, you know, because Bojack is Bojack, it, of course, spirals out of control and mm. becomes this, uh, you know, self-deprecating relationship where he is his own worst enemy. Um, but he's also not in a good place to be pursuing anyone romantically, probably. Absolutely. And I think it's the it's it's um what's the word I'm looking for here? It's deceptive in the sense that the way it's set up initially, um you have this this lovely moment where he's like, But we just had sex and I don't want you to leave. Mm. And it seems like he might actually have reached a a kind of intersection, but he hasn't, not really. Um and he keeps going back to this whole idea of I need to, because he's, you know, taking on the role of secretariat, he's listening to the motivational tapes and everything. He keeps going back and back to this, I must self-improve, I must become a better person. And that's a little bit tied up with Wanda as well, because it, it feels almost superficial in a way. He's taken a very superficial approach to, I'm going to be better, I'm going to do better for myself. And that sort of bleeds into their relationship too. Mm. And it's a, the whole thing is just a de- well, just um, it's, a des- <laughs> it's a desperate attempt to put all of the things about himself that he doesn't want to face mm. in a box. And I think that mm-hmm. that is where this this idea that she doesn't have a, a preconceived notion of who he is, and therefore he can recreate himself from the ground up. But he's still him. It's like the thing that um, mm-hmm. Diane says in the, the first series about, sorry, the first season, um, about wherever you go, you're still you. Mm. The kind of the very first episode of, of season two kind of illustrates this at the end with Beatrice. Mm. And he finally takes that phone call from her and she explains, it, look, you can... You can fill your life with your little girlfriends and all your projects, but you are Bojack Horseman. There's no cure for that. You were born broken. And ironically, that's the thing that, that brings him back into, you know, being able to connect with the, the, the sad and, and down moment that he has to create for Secretariat that he's having such a hard time with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, she becomes that, his mother becomes that reminder mm-hmm. that, you can try and put all of those things in a little box, like you said, Sharon, but you you are still you. You're still broken, and filling your life with all of this stuff is not going to make it go away. 
In retrospect, and, and this is sort of impinging on season three territory, uh, but it's, it is kind of part of uh, the end of season two. It is frustrating as hell that he never actually got to play Secretariat the whole way through the film and, and actually see that up on screen, use what he has to play that character. That would have been, mm-hmm. I suspect, a major catharsis for him had he been able to break through. That, the, the fact that the whole of season three is, is, is feeling like, um, like an imposter that that people appreciate him for something he didn't actually do but really wanted to mm. that's a repeating hallmark in bojack's life though if you notice every time he is given an opportunity to break through and get that catharsis and face the thing that's holding him down he doesn't he turns around and runs the other way mm. well that's what secretary told him to do <laughs> yeah run and mm-hmm. keep running keep mm-hmm. running yeah also, like at the beginning of this season, he starts running, and that seems like the the opening of a joke where the punchline is at the very end of the season. So, like the, you you got George Takei with his motivational speaking. The hill is a metaphor. Everything is a metaphor. Uh, but the the thing that really hammers that home is actually at the end of the season when the the uh, um, baboon says to him, "You have to do it every day." The, mm-hmm. Like that's just a wonderful metaphor for like pushing through the worst of times. You can't just have an epiphany and then everything's much easier after that. It's it to a degree. It's it's harder once you realise the weight you've got to take, and the amount of effort it takes just to be functional. It's easier when you're fooling yourself. Agree, but Bojack, of course, doesn't want to run every day. He yeah. wants to be a runner. And that's ultimately the thing that keeps tripping him up is his inability to stick with something long enough for it to make a difference. Mm. He wants to do the the marathon, but he doesn't get the fact that the marathon is not the hard part. The first, mm. I don't know, 1,000 meters is the hard part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the sticking to it after it gets overwhelmingly hard is the real. That's the thing you got to push through. Also, this season we also get uh, an episode where Diane blows the whistle on Hank Hippopopopopoulos, the uh, <laughs> the the whole sexual harassment side of things, and uh, for speaking out against an established male figure, she becomes vilified and hated specifically by males. This relates to a a scene and a scenario in season four, which we're going to talk about later, but Mm. it really cuts to the bone. (laughs) Just -hmm. just the idea that, oh, speak out, and everybody will hate you if you're a woman. Who is the the actress that has been uh, coming down on James Woods Uh, lately? uh, Amber Tamlin? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great... I mean, well... It's not exactly the same thing, but it's a very, and I kind of was thinking about this when, when watching season four as well, that that's a very recent story and a very recent example of exactly that point. You know, like he is a well-established, well-respected male actor. And the, the very first thing that happens is, well, you're a liar. Well, are you sure it happened that way? Are you sure you're remembering this right? It was a lot. Yeah. So plenty, plenty of real world examples of that. But I think like that is is kind of in the forefront of my mind because it was so recent. Mm-hmm. And Bojack has a history of just doing those things pitch perfectly. Any of the commenting on current stuff, it tends to do it so very well. 
I think part of that might be because, yes, it comments on current stuff, but these problems are problems that are persistent. That essentially any reference to anything current is really a systemic problem that it's trying to have an opinion on mm. and does a really good job of it. I think True. actually one of the reasons that it, it comes across so well is the fact that it doesn't tend to uh, it doesn't tend to moralize. They, I mean, they they um, deliberately reference the whole "I learned something today" element um, on one occasion. But generally speaking, what BoJack the show does really, really well is acidic observation. So basically, this is what South Park did when it was in its heyday, and mm. what it definitely doesn't do now. Yeah, it, yeah. It, there's there's not really this sense of we're going to set this up in a in a kind of moralistic, preachy kind of way. This happens and it's terrible. It it just shows you right. This happens. These are the consequences. Okay, you decide whether you think that's okay or not. Speaking of women, uh, specifically outspoken, tired ones, um, Kelsey uh, is a, a major uh, character in this. The, um, the, uh, the, the female, the female director of um, the Secretariat. Uh, I figured that she was um, because of how like quiet, so, uh, um, not so much softly spoken, but just like sternly, coldly spoken. She is. She kind of reminds me of um, Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> Um, although she does have Jane, Ca like a Jane Campion number plate. Jane on her Campion, car. I was just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how Jane Campion is, but um, it's like she doesn't uh, like. She, there's no joy of doing this. Uh, uh, um, the actual movie making for her. It's not that she's specifically passionate. She's driven to to get this done and get it done right. But she's so tired, obviously, like like tired by how much this job has taken out of her. I, th I think she does reference Jane. She, I mean, she obviously references Jane Campion. She obviously references Catherine Bigelow. I think there's, there's probably several other prominent female directors in there as well. I think what she is effectively representing is this sort of... I don't know, it's not stereotype. There aren't enough of them for it to be a stereotype. But, um, <laughs> That's what sucks. Yeah, absolutely. But this this idea of a, a woman who works in Hollywood and has worked in Hollywood for some time as well, not somebody who is new on the scene, but somebody who's, as we keep saying, been to the puppet show and seen the strings, and is of such a high quality that the notion that she is not more well-known and um, more talked about than she is seems almost ridiculous. Mm. She um, should be a Ridley Scott by now. Absolutely, but she's not, and she's always going to be that indie darling. I mean, I know you, you wouldn't call Catherine Bigelow an indie darling, but at the same time, she's never had that uh, that top level cachet Cameron cachet yeah the, the the whole studios falling over themselves to get her which they should do because she's awesome mm -hmm. <sighs> they should do and instead what do they do they end up replacing her with a hack a guy uh, with somebody that wants to direct a bunch of schlock basically yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yet he's really, really touchy about being told that it's shit. <laughs> but <Hey>. exactly. <laughs> that, that actually... Not shit. <laughs> again, that whole thing about it being really relevant. This is relevant before it happened, because the whole time that was going on, I was sat there thinking, this could so easily have happened with Patty Jenkins. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Replaced with... Long... 
Who, who's 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 Abe remind you of? Because like I was thinking with that hat, that's not Ron Howard, surely. Ron Howard's done great films. There's there's other directors, and it's it's not oh. just Ernest Borgnine, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just somebody I, like uh, Akiva Goldsman. Like he's the guy that I always go. Why did you keep giving this man money? Does Akiva Goldsman <laughs> actually direct, or does he? Oh, just he's directed. Yeah, he directed oh, a Winter's okay. Tale. Sorry, I thought he just wrote and produced. Oh, yeah, he does all kinds. Joel G. Yeah. <laughs> more than Joel Schumacher. Joel Schumacher, actually, Joel Schumacher, if you listen to him in uh, uh, um, interviews, does have sensitivities to him. And he certainly didn't. Um, uh, there you go. Akiva Goldsman, director of A Winter's Tale. That uh, cost 31 million. Sorry, made cost 75 million, made 31 million. So anyway, um, no, it made money, is what you're saying. Yeah. So it's it, it it was unable to make money. In fact, it lost a chunk of money. Yeah. Um, and that they got that guy to be in charge of the Transformers movies, and they got that guy to direct the Dark Tower. Again, if you listen to Akiva Goldsman in interviews, he seems quite passionate. This is like this is really where it comes down to. I have to like look in the eyes, hear the words coming out of the the, the mouth, and then li- like hear what's in the voice behind the words of these guys. And w- when it comes to this mudskipper guy, he, he just comes off as a cretin. Like you know, we're not making Casablanca here because that's a different movie. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but if you t- look at Lenny Turtletaub. He comes off as incredibly cynical because he is all about the business of this one. As it, the J.K. Simmons, uh, the, this um, mm. the, the guy who's just like you know we're going to make a good picture. Uh, sorry, we're going to make a picture that's successful. Uh, you know, not necessarily caring whether it's shit or not, but that he knows what's going to be unsuccessful and is very dismissive about that. Mm. At the same time, it's amazing that he still comes off as human because he could just come off as a uh, like you know an industry fat cat um, cipher. But I kind of I kind of get where Lenny's coming from. Like if 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 this is like the Hollywood factory machine of turning a, a large amount of money into a very large amount of money, he's the guy that can arrange for that to happen. One of the the impressions that I got very strongly of Turtle Taub was that he he's a little bit frustrated by Bojack's. Um, uh, you know, I, I want this to be something. I want mm. this to be the way I get to prove how good I really am as an actor. And he he almost seems as though, like, hey, kid, you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic to what you're going for here, but we've got to make a movie. Yeah. And ultimately, everything can't be your personal project to show everybody how wonderful you are. And if he allowed every uh, approaching middle-aged panicking actor to do that, his studio would fall. Mm. And the fact that he's able to just cut Kelsey loose like that, just because, uh, you know, he's like, well, we can't be doing the whole Mm. filming in the Nixon, uh, uh, sorry, filming in the fake White House, even if you did get character actress Margot Martindale arrested. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say that, like, because, you know, Lenny and Kelsey are both very strong personalities, but Lenny has to be the one to come in and say, not only did you do something that is totally illegal, you know, completely, you know, no permits, no permission, no nothing. But you also went against my express, you know, uh, desire for you to not put the scene in the movie. Like you went against my wishes and you broke the law. Mm-hmm. I, I'm putting my foot down and you're out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, when he's this, not heartless. He's, he's just, not, but he's very practical. 
He's been he's been doing this for I don't know basically as long as film has been around seems to be the implication and mm-hmm. at this point it's there's only so much magic that can go around after a hundred years of this. I can't not think of Kathleen Kennedy right now. She's been doing it for long enough to basically be a turtle and um, just her like hardline decisions of right. These these oh kids, God. the uh, what are they called? The Lord and Millers. They come in here. They're trying to make Jokey McJokerson of this Han Solo movie. We want a Star Wars movie, so we're going to get Ron Howard for it. And then this this guy, this um, Colin Trevorrow, this Colin Trevorrow, who comes in here thinks he's hot shit just because he got a Jurassic Park. We showed we showed him what to do, and we th- uh, chucked him out and got. Uh, for a time, it was John Swabin. Right now, it's. Uh, JJ Abrams, that could yeah. all change. I'm not going to say yeah. anyone for, uh, like, until the movie's out. <laughs> How does out. a data podcast discuss who's directing the last I did that Star shit Wars. before <laughs> when it was going to be Matthew Vaughn directing a Star War. For this moment, that could change yes. 10 minutes from now. <laughs> but, but the point is, within the space of a month, she chucked out two uh, effectively, you know, very successful directors. Hollywood Golden Because like, like, you've got. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, Trevorrow got handpicked by uh, Spielberg himself to direct Jurassic World after doing one film, and then Jurassic World makes over a billion. It's it's huge. So you point at that director and you go, this guy can make successes happen. And on the other hand, he has this book of Henry comes out. It's like dubbed the worst movie of the year because this was in the heady, innocent days before Mother. You're Kathleen Turner. What the fuck do you do with that? And I'm assuming that it came down to Colin Trevorrow was throwing his weight around on set as well. The the, the uh, most logistically reasonable explanation I heard was basically he's an ass and she didn't want to put up with it. You're an ass, Colin Trevorrow. <laughs> Um, but you no, know, Lord and Miller, I love, I love the Lego Movie. I love Twenty One Jump Street. I find Clatter of the Chance of Meatballs quite agreeable. Um, <laughs> so like, I was really pumped for them to, to to do the Han Solo movie, and I would far rather it be them than Ron Howard. So on the other hand, it's like she's chucked these guys out for a safe bet. But she's turtle taub. She's making sure that this turns into a big movie. Yeah. At the same time, her decision, if it, it does stay as J.J. Abrams. You know, that's that's a nice, safe decision. just happens to be the same director that made my favorite Star Wars movie. And my second favorite Star Wars movie, Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's my third favorite. Yeah, after yeah, 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 J.J. was definitely the safe choice. And you're right. That's the kind of thing that a Lenny Turtletop would do is... Mm. Go with the go with the marketable property. Go with the person that we know could do this. JJ was the safe choice the first time they hired him to do Star Wars. Yeah, and it's going to be it's going to continue to be that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, frankly, the Lenny's hiring of Abe is quite puzzling because you could look at Abe and go, "Yeah, this guy's just going to direct shit." How the hell did um, the Secretariat movie actually end up good enough to get Oscars or get nominated at least? I just had a thought. He was uh, Trevorrow was uh, handpicked by Spielberg to mm-hmm. do Jurassic World, mm-hmm. and Spielberg and Lucas used to be quite yeah. good mates. Is it possible that Trevorrow knows something? And she went, "No, you're done." <laughs> <laughs> the Trevorrow who knew too much. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Also in this season, Mr. Peanut Butter uh, throws a party ostensibly for Diane, but actually more really for him. Uh, and this again, there's elements of this turn up in season four. Mm. Um, there's there's an echo between two and four, I think. And yeah. and mm. um, definitely, Mister Peanut Butter has been repeatedly in amongst his 
sweetness and kindness and generosity and attempt to understanding, making it patently obvious that he does not get Diane at all. Yeah. And he's oblivious sometimes. Man, he just... He has this idea in his head of, like, if I just do this really fun thing, if I just do that the thing that I love, eventually Diane's going to love it, too. And it's just it just doesn't work that way. And he does do a lot of things for her that are specifically for her. But then, of course, you wouldn't want a gigantic raging party afterwards. And he totally doesn't even get that. He just wanted it for, you know, kind of like she says, he wants it for himself. Mm, yeah, but I love it when you get. This is something that I'm I'm really starting to find now, which I never expected to. I love it when you see the cracks in Mr. Peanut Butter. Mm. The the fact yeah. that he he <laughs> has this personality that is so winning, and everybody adores him, and and um, you know he has all these friends, and he has this this wonderful, uncomplicated way of looking at life. But the problem is that then when something happens and someone doesn't adore him, he can't cope with that. He he can't cope with, but but you know I, why did did you not find this adorable and why was this thing not um, appealing to you? But not yeah. in a not in the sort of self obsessive destructive way that Bojack does, but just in a a way that he's he's lost, he's utterly confused by it mm. because he loves that thing so much. Like obviously everybody else should. It it, it almost mm. doesn't even occur to him that. You know, people have different tastes and like um, they have different desires than him. You know, certain things appeal to them uh, differently than they would to him. So, yeah, it's like he's just completely clueless. Um, and it's not willful. Like you said, it's it's not purposeful, but he is just such a dopey, loving puppy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sharon, yeah. you said that he's quite passive aggressive at times. Oh, he well. can be. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah really like. I'm trying to think of an example and nothing springing to mind, but there, there are occasions when he'll he'll say something and it just seems like Diane's thing about being mean, mm-hmm. he could be really, I don't know, I don't want to call it cruel because again, it's not, it doesn't seem entirely deliberate, but he'll, it's just snarky. Mm. I'm just thinking whether that's a really well-observed fact about dogs that no one ever seems to really um, confront, that the hangdog expression is, by its very nature, passive-aggressive, because mm. it suggests it that the dog is, over, yeah, is, <laughs> is overstimulating your guilt on purpose because he knows it might get him what he wants. Mm. Huh. Yeah. However, that said, um, it is entirely possible for somebody to be behaving in a very passive-aggressive way, and if you don't have that guilt thing to be tweaked, you just go, okay, that's you're not being openly aggressive, so I can just safely ignore you. You're a good boy, yes you are, yes you are, go play. Yeah. Um, speaking of clueless men, Carolyn gets uh, together with Rutabaga in this uh, season. <gasps> Oh, Oof. Uh, I hate Rutabaga so Vincent much. Was, Vincent was so much a better boyfriend than Rutabaga. <laughs> mm. Honestly, yeah. Vincent had a purity about him. He was a good person. Yeah. Um, Rutabaga's a mess. He didn't care about her. Yeah. 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 A in, selfish mess. In his own trench-coated way. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tried, to, tried to pay attention to her. Tried to, you know, he's such a good listener. Mm. <laughs> like, even Bojack acknowledges that, like, I think at the end of season one, he's like, 
wow, you really are a good listener. <laughs> like yeah. he, yeah, he'll sit there and he'll absorb it. He's used to listening to adults talk to him. Absolutely. But you just want to stay up late and watch R-rated movies. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> he even, you know, I mean, it's it's silly and it backfires and it, it's it's totally ridiculous that he even tries, but he does attempt. <laughs> to spare her feelings in that mm. whole, oh, yeah. yes, this is my it's, son. This is the it season when know, they, a... they do that whole is that actually the three, like, is that one of the three kids things? I yeah. love that they never yeah. tell you. From Carolyn's perspective, you're watching a sitcom where you should basically see these kids talking to each other going, what are we going to say to her? But, like, you never see that side of the sitcom. So, basically, you're um, the woman who played Greta in Liar Liar in Mrs. Doubtfire going to see Daniel. And he, oh, he yeah. and his weird half-sister from the Isle of Skye keep assaulting her and dropping <laughs> face cream into her coffee. <laughs> so, But you're only from her perspective on this one. It's, it's yeah. inspired, as is so much of BoJack's comedy setups. Yeah. It's it's pitch perfect. It's exactly how a child would think. I have to fix this situation. Like mm. I have to. It's it's just how a child would react to mm. something like mm. this and try to be the mature adult about it. Mm. I need a time out. What? Um, okay. That said, looking at the the procession of Princess Carolyn's relationships, what do you guys think? actually um, makes her go for Rutabaga in the end because she is pretty resistant to him to start with. It's If it hadn't been coupled with the starting a new career mm. with her own, like to do it herself, I don't think she'd have gone for him. He's mm. too much of a, an obvious hot mess. Mm-hmm. He is, but he's also a very good agent and in a lot of ways that means he has to be a good bullshitter. Mm. And I think Princess Carolyn kind of just fell for the fell for the bullshit a little bit which seems strange because she she knows how that game works so you can bullshit a bullshitter in this particular well apparently you can correct me if i'm wrong but were they actually they were actually having an affair at this point basically yeah by the end okay well well the other side of it is that sometimes when you, you find that guy that really does it for you it makes you do stupid crazy things i mm. <laughs> so Even if you know i think everybody is everybody's yeah. guilty of that so you see what you want to see yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah but speaking of seeing what you want to see did any of you guys notice um princess carolyn's lazy thumbs on the uh like the just at the bottom of her wrist she's got that little lazy thumb that a cat has it's like an extra little nub down there oh yeah what's ah. Uh, but yeah, that's that's uh, that's a weird little nod to the anatomy of a cat, which is like it always then is like when you look at the hands, it's like this is so wrong. Those giant pink hands don't belong on a cat. But that's you know ultimately that that's the concession they made. Otherwise, Bojack would have to have hooves the whole time, which you can't smoke with. You can't. Which is with. weird. Yeah. Unless you're in My Little Pony, at which point they manage that stuff all the time. <laughs> Another little side note. Uh, I know any, magic. By yeah. a show of hands, who else went straight to Google when they were screaming about whether Tony Curtis was dead or not? I totally did. <laughs> and oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> straight away. 2010, mate, sorely missed. But yeah, uh, that means Mr. Peanut Butter was right, and I don't think they ever actually really solved it in that episode. It's for you to find out with Google. What? You're no, Diane at was right. Oh, Diane said she, he was Diane dead. Diane said he was dead. Really? 
I think yeah. Princess Caroline says yeah. it. No, you're you're right. Tony Curtis is that like she oh, kind right. of sees it at the end too. Okay, right. Um, Sorry, I yeah. thought she was screaming that he was alive. We've all been in arguments where we know that we are manifestly right, and it's just so infuriating that the other person doesn't either doesn't trust us or is just seems to be off on this weird sort of I don't know, and it's like just fucking trust me on this. <laughs> And it's almost like that they'd rather sort of leave it to chance than actually put any stock in what you're saying. Sure. That's insulting when you know things. If we can just like really briefly talk about Herb's funeral. Yeah. Oh perfect. yeah. Yeah. Um, because that was a, that was a pretty big episode just for, you know, the, this is basically the first time, you know, after Herb dies, not of cancer, but because peanut he got into allergy. an accident with a truck. But the truck accident didn't kill him. It was because it was a peanut truck or something like that. And like the yeah, dust he had from allergy. the he had a peanut <laughs> allergy and he died from the uh, God. Anyway, um <laughs> just this huge convoluted thing. But this is basically the first time that the the cast of Horsing Around have been back together again. And I think we this is something that you know survived our, our original recording. They do mention that the next time they're all going to be in the in the same room together is going to be for somebody else's funeral. Hmm. Um, Why are you all looking at me? And everybody looks at Bojack, which, <laughs> but it's but it's kind of nice to see like okay, this is everybody you know, however many years later, this is where they all are, and it's the first time they've all kind of met again as adults in the same room at the same time, and all of the old feelings and and things that come about from that so funerals seem the worst place to get together with people you haven't seen for years because it's like everybody's already ripped open with grief and then you throw into that meeting up with people that you haven't really had much contact with for years often for very good reasons mm -hmm. And you're trying to deal with that, and you're trying to deal with the fact that you're grieving the person who's died, and you're trying to deal with the fact that there are people who are guilting you for the fact that you didn't come to the last funeral, and you're possibly trying to deal with the fact that this whole funeral is costing you so much money, and now you're desperately worried about what's going to happen next. And then there's all this piled on, piled on, piled on stuff. And you're having to deal with all of that around the fact that this person that you loved is now gone. Mm -hmm. It just seems... Too intense. That's mm -hmm. why I didn't go to my uh, paternal grandmother's funeral. Makes sense. Yeah. There's a lot going on in this funeral, just as in terms of like the people that have come just to network, like using the funeral as 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 a way to meet people and schmooze a little bit. And Princess Caroline originally is, you know, she initially is guilty of that as well. Mm -hmm. There's all of the stuff that came about during the run of the show. Um, Sarah Lynn and um, oh, I can't remember the other girl's name now. <laughs> um, the one who's playing Juliet's no, yes. nurse maid. <laughs> they had, yeah, they had, you know, they had a kind of rocky relationship for a while. They never really, they, they should have been closer. And mm. they sort of, you know, pushed each other away. And then Ethan's, you know, you ha accuses Bojack of having had an affair with his mother at one point. It's just a, a big tangled mess and then they're trying to solve a mystery on top of it I, I quite there's one quote here that I actually have in my notes from that that um, it's just Bojack again trying to make something into a dramatic moment so that he doesn't have to do the hard work of fixing things and it's um, he says 
if we can find Herb's gold, that's something. It's he just wants he needs something to hold on to, something that he can say we did something worth it. This this is oh, yeah. not just a thing that we've gone to in preparation for the next funeral, which will probably be mine. Or to look and at it another way, he has to be doing something. He can't just sit there and feel it. He has to be running. Yeah. And the, the other side of it is um, what they say at the end of the episode. You guys, I, I, I understand you, you wanted this thing so that Herb's death would have had some kind of a meaning. Like, you wanted it to have some, you know, you wanted it to have happened for a purpose. But there is, and he says it right out, there is no meaning in death. And it just kind of <laughs> leaves it there. Yeah. I'm ready to go, oh, yeah. <laughs> the other two members of the cast are uh, Joel Clark, who played Olivia, and Bradley Hitler-Smith, who played Ethan. Yes. <laughs> also, I don't know if you guys noticed, but during the Christmas special episode, the one that's just on its own on uh, Netflix, which is a weird uh-huh. uh, vestigial episode, um, the boss, who you only ever hear on the intercom, is clearly Herb Kazaz. Yes. <laughs> yes, I noticed that. It's amazing. Um, okay, can we get to the season finale of uh, um, the Escape from LA section? And I can't believe this is only one episode uh, because it feels. Uh, epic in scope just in terms of the fact that Bojack spends so long away and the fact that so much of actual emotional impact happens in such a what is actually only a short space of minutes I think they reflect that by playing the uh, title sequence twice they they reframe the title music hmm Mm. Oh, do you mean t- Kyle and the kids? Or is that a third yeah. title? No, 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 I mean when he's on the boat going back to LA, they yeah. play the title music. Yeah, yeah. When he's going back on, on the on the boat at the end, it's very. He's got that same expression behind the sunglasses. Nothing on the inside, nothing on the outside. He's just right. shut himself off again. There is a repeating pattern that's happened at least twice with Bojack, and um, I, I can't really talk about season four, but if you know what happens in season four, you'll understand what didn't happen. Um, that he gets closer to a fatherly role. Uh, you know, in, in the case of um, Sarah Lynn, he was supposed to be a father figure to her. And, uh, it, you know, obviously he, at the end of season one, he has that um, dream of being uh, married to Charlotte and having a child named Harper. And that's his that's what he really genuinely wants. And so now he's right here and, you know, she he loves his wife and there's nothing you can do. And it's yeah. like th- this is going to be paraded in front of you. And Bojack, despite the fact that it's painful as shit, stays there for months. How long is it? Uh, it's almost three months. three months, I think. Months. Yeah, yeah. Um, and because as painful as it is, it's still got that family atmosphere that kind of gives him a sense of stability. Mm. But in the case of Sarah Lynn and in the case of Penny, he's supposed to be being a father figure to them, but because that's not going to work, he decides, "Fuck it." And um, uh, basically, in, in the case of Sarah Lynn, uh, yeah, has you know has sex with her. In the case of Penny, gears up to have sex with her after it doesn't work with Charlotte because it couldn't work with Charlotte, and he knows it couldn't work with Charlotte. And so his reaction, rather than taking it on the chin and just walking away, a wiser, quieter horse, is to go for self destruction. Yeah. I like how they I like how they set up that idea too that Charlotte is never going to go for him yeah. in almost every scene where um, where Charlotte and Bojack are together they make it a point to 
have a shot of her walking away from him. Yeah. She is constantly walking away from him. Um, so yeah, I just, I love how they set that up. It, 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 um, it leads into where their relationship ends up going very nicely. Also, Bojack is deplorable in this, it, like the, <laughs> the end parts of this episode where he takes all the kids to prom. And this was, this was a genuinely upsetting uh, series of events to, to watch because you're right. He is supposed to be a father figure. You know, he's the adult in the room. He is supposed to be the responsible one. And yet, he allows such disgusting things to happen. Like he really like the, 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 the amount of failure that happens hmm. with him trying to take care of these kids is <laughs> astronomical from it's, getting them yeah. drunk to pawning a, a, a pretty much unconscious girl onto a teenage boy who is afraid and doesn't know what to do and saying, hmm. Oh, well you can't, you can't put this on me and you know, laying all that responsibility on him Mm. So that he can go off and continue having fun. Yeah. yeah. So he's not used to being an adult for more than it takes to film an episode. Mm-hmm. He needs the credits to roll. And yeah. when the credits don't roll, then he has no idea what to do with himself and he falls back on destructive behavior. Absolutely. He panics when he's put on that spot for too long. And I think um, in part, and you do see it happen over and over again, actually, he he gets into um, paternal nurturing situations, which if he could play them through would be incredibly healing for him. Um, and there's only one that I can think of off the top of my head. Well, two, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to the end of season four, um, that he manages to almost successfully complete. Hmm. Um, but the, um, the part of the reason for that is he has no template. He's got nothing to fall back on. As soon as it gets into uh, an area that he hasn't had scripted for him, he doesn't know where to go or what to do. And the script that he had written for him by uh, Beatrice and Butterscotch was fucking terrible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He knows he no doesn't template. want to be them, Sorry, but he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, he knows he doesn't want to be them, but he has. He he's like, but how do you do this? I I've genuinely never seen this. You know, he's. It's so many people, and it's you know so many people who get trapped in the cycle of abuse. If you don't have a model, what do you do? How do you do this? And you know. That's Good. a fair point. That's a fair point, but also I think it's it's important to note that Bojack does know that it's wrong. You can see it, it in his in his face. You can see the way he's animated. He knows that leaving the kids to deal with the drunk girl on their own is wrong. He acknowledges to Penny that she is too young, that she doesn't know what she wants, and that it's wrong. Tells her to go to bed. That to me was the big difference. It's like you know this is wrong, dude. Like I know you've got no template for a, a scenario where this will work out for the better of everybody, but you still know that it's not right. Yeah, but this is this is something that is so uh, consistent with people who uh, who who struggle to recreate positive situations because they've experienced them so negatively themselves if all you can fixate on is the way not to do it guess what you'll end up doing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that thing 
It's even more frustrating with the fact that he actually gets some of this stuff right. Well, his suggestion of, why don't you come to the problem with me? And then he'll, be, he'll say, hey, and you'll say, hey. And then maybe <laughs> dance with him if you feel like it. Like, he, that's what he should have said. But he said, like, then don't dance with him. Just dance with me instead. And he suddenly draws it back to himself. And it's like, you were so close. And then her dad was about to do that anyway. Mm. And then the, the whole thing about, let's get out of here to the prom. And, like, you know, maybe if the kids are feeling a bit dejected, take them somewhere. And then the whole thing with the balloons and the glow sticks, that's a lovely thing yeah. to do and memorable. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. he, well, because he's been priming the, that one girl with uh, booze the whole time, uh, the whole thing collapses on itself and then he gets the one chance to basically behave like an adult when they really need an adult mm. and he behaves like a stupid teenager twice three times yeah. mm. but this yeah. is something oh, three times <laughs> yeah we've we've talked about the the repetition of the drowning theme and um bojack whenever he starts to get an inkling that he's going to get left alone he panics it's it's almost the thing that he can't possibly bear that the the he hates people talking about him and hanging around him and, and constantly being there and, and annoying him. But if everybody disappears, that's even worse. Mm. And so if it looks like that's about to happen, he will grab because mm -hmm. he, he panics. He is instantly reduced to this little child who doesn't know what to do next. And that's how he ends up fucking things up over and over and over again. We're on the webpage for, uh, the, on the Bojack Wiki, and on this uh, episode guide, there's discussions about Escape from L.A., my anger and hatred for Charlotte Moore. I'm not going to go into it, but the most recent post oh. is, okay, I have a deep, strong anger and hatred for Charlotte because I feel like she betrayed Bojack 20 years ago, and later after, and I'm not going to read the rest, straight away, this whole thing smacks of... I relate to Bojack. Why wasn't he given these things that he was promised by the world? No! It's his uh, fault! It's totally Nobody his fault. owes you Charlotte shit! Charlotte does not owe him, absolutely. She does not owe him anything. She is happily married. She has a family. She even says it herself. Like, we do each other for five minutes in L.A., Betrayed you know, and, him. And, and just and just Fuck because this person. and only and only because she had a very short-lived relationship with Herb. Like that was the only reason they even met. She was a friend so, of a friend. Yeah, she was a waitress a in the, the the bar that Herb did stand up, right? Exactly. Yeah, she kind of worked in the same like comedy circle that they did, and I think mm. she and and Herb did date for a little bit until you know Herb started to be more open about his um, you know his sexuality. But, um, but she betrayed but yeah, Bojack she, by going to live in Maine. Yeah, she doesn't. Yeah. Like, she doesn't owe him anything. Like they knew each other. Yeah, exactly. And even if they had a long-standing relationship, even if they'd been friends for years, it like oh god, it drives me crazy when people do that and they yeah. do the oh well, I've been friend zoned and it's. Uh, God, it's this that mentality. Thread entitled like, my hatred for Charlotte Moore. How could you hate Charlotte Moore? She's totally in the right and never did anything but be a good friend to this guy. She's ultimately, um, this is, yeah, repeating patterns and all, but the Charlotte's been pedestaled. Mm. She's been idealized. He has this, you know, he has this vision of her living in Maine. He's almost accusatory to her when he finds out she actually lives in New Mexico. Mm. It's like, oh, 
I've been thinking of you living in Maine this whole time. How dare you live somewhere else? <laughs> and she only stayed, and she stayed there for like one summer. Yeah. Um, but uh, but again, I think that's because his his framing of Charlotte and who she is is basically a life raft or a you know it, it's it's a rope or so. Again, he's drowning, he's grabbing at things, and he's idealized this woman into the the thing that's going to save him. Um, oh, and I need to look for my hatred for Herb Kazaz uh, threads because those people are fuckers <laughs> too. Dare- not oh, forgive oh Bojack. <laughs> How dare he not actually die of cancer? How yeah. dare? Now get uh, the fuck out of my wiki. Yes. <laughs> um, oh, sorry. Particularly missed the point of Bojack. Just completely. Well, yeah. yes. Yeah. The whole show. Yeah. It's like people who idolize Rick Sanchez. No, no. Rick Sanchez is not the good guy in that show. Stop mm-hmm. that. Also, real quick, that analogy of him trying to hold on to things. Uh, you know, as he's, you know, coming out of the water, that's uh, echoed later with his, um, I can't remember the character's name, but the woman who's basically priming him for an Oscar nomination. The Oscar Whisperer? Uh, yes. Anna, she, Anna yes. She tells a story of being a lifeguard, and this is actually, like, this is something that you learn, like, I've recently gone through, like, EFR training and learning how to be a rescue diver. And this is something that they actually do uh, stress if you are doing a water rescue. If the person is flailing about and panicking, as soon as they see something that is on the surface, they're going to grab onto it and, and drag you down with them. Mm. A panicked person is going to do that. And the best thing to do in that situation is to just let them kind of like get it out, let them wear themselves out until you can safely go to them where they're not going to latch onto you and then put you also in danger where now you need to be rescued as well. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's, it's kind of a nice setup for what she eventually says is that sometimes you have to, you have to stand back and let the person put them almost put themselves in a greater uh, position of danger before you can actually rescue them. Or they can't, like she says, some people can't be rescued at all. Hmm. That is really awesome therapy advice as well. (laughs) (laughs) And relationship advice and friendship advice. Specifically for people who have that rescue tendency that they will dive in after people who are destroying their lives. Um, because they think it, it makes them mm-hmm. feel better about themselves if they can save people. Um, yeah. Suggesting a, that maybe you take a step back and let them wear themselves out a little bit. You have to. You have to. And, I've uh, like, honestly, I've seen it happen. I've seen this happen where it's, it, you, you have to assess the situation first. Mm-hmm. The, the, the child that is lying face down in the pool, if your instinct is to immediately jump into the water to save him, you should not be rescuing people because any number of things could have happened. Um, I, I read a story once where like, you know, that same scenario, kid faced down in a pool, a bunch of people dove in to try and rescue him, not realizing that a generator had fallen into the water. As soon as all these rescue people hit the water, they were immediately electrocuted. So oh. one person faced down <laughs> in the pool turned into like three people face down dead in the pool because they Jesus. didn't check their surroundings. What they are did the not. Odds, though? Oh, wow. Well, that's a very but specific hear... scenario, but, but no, it's a very that's... specific thing. 
it's, but that's, that's that's what you have to do. You have to assess everything first before you dive before straight you in. Go in. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. And they they do that in in general rescue training as well. So you when uh, yep. like uh, police and and fire and paramedics, your instinct is to run straight in and try and help people. But you have got to look to see if there's something around there that could yes. hurt you too. You have to stop and breathe and assess, and that's kind of what Charlotte's doing. It exactly, exactly that in this situation. She's stopping, she's assessing what's going on, and deciding. Nope, you know what? You're you're bad for me, and you're bad for this family. Get out, or I'm calling the police. And in fact, you're absolutely right. In that scene, that's almost exactly what she does. She throws him these sort of little little ropes. Uh-huh. As part of the conversation and that she's listening and they're talking and she's, you know, laughing at his jokes and, and being very soothing for him. But then he starts to flail and she backs away. Ah, oh, she doesn't uh-huh. say she'll fucking kill him until uh, well, that's he's not made till his later, yeah. last move. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. Real quick, before we move on from season two, mm-hmm. I think I want to bring up the scene with uh, Mr. Peanut Butter and Diane in the mm. restaurant? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm Is glad that you brought that, that up, actually. Because uh, <laughs> we haven't really talked about what's happened with them. But, yeah, they, um, Diane uh, went off to do, um, well, arranged to go off and do um, aid work in uh, war-torn... Cordovia. Cordovia. Uh, and with a, a, a famous... Is he an actor, an explorer, an explorer who's played by an actor? Um, but he's, anyway, what's his she, name? Who owns Virgin? Yeah, she's going. Richard Branson. Richard, Richard Branson. Branson. She's going off to do benefit work, and she comes back way early without telling her husband now because they're now married, Mr. Peanut Butter, and hides at, hides at Bojack's house, pretending that she's not in the country, only speaking to him occasionally via the phone. That this is where she plays. She gets drastically different from how she was in season one, and falls apart. Uses so, Bojack as an excuse to fall apart, I yeah. think, is is a little bit more they significant. Yeah. 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 They're really terrible for each other. This is, yeah, <laughs> it's this hard is, to realize that in season two, that, man, they yeah. they kind of, like, yeah, they might get along in some ways, but when it really gets down to it, they tend to bring out the worst in each other. Yeah. It's not a healthy relationship for the most part. It's a recipe for being entirely unmotivated, that, you know, because... N- both of them need someone to nurture them and to uh, um, to keep them up above the waterline, and neither of them are really capable of doing that for the other. Mm, because they're both desperately looking for the other to do that for them. They want the same person, but yeah. neither person is that, is each other. Mm. Yeah. Give me something more. Give me some deeper meaning. And, yeah, they don't have that for each other. Mm. Uh, but yeah, the restaurant scene you were saying. Yeah, that that scene just that hit me. That's probably one of my favorite scenes, maybe my favorite scene of all three seasons. It's one of anyway. Just it's and and to give context, if well, presumably you've seen it, but that she had been not telling Mr. Peanut Butter that she was back, and she'd been staying at Bojack's, and she goes into Bojack's restaurant. And I possibly because she subconsciously knows she may run into him. I wonder. I don't know. But this is never made explicit. But she comes in and she's there and Mr. Peanut Butter comes in because um, he's he's a semi-regular there. 
And he's sitting at the bar, she's sitting at a table, and he sees her across the room. And this whole range of emotion passes across his face in about the space of about five seconds. And you're you're on the edge of your seat because they're like, what is he going to do? And it's pitch perfect because he calls her on the phone. And, and hilarious, <laughs> hilariously, her ringtone is the intro music for Serial, and it's Sarah Koenig um, narrating it, which I <laughs> made me just yeah. fall on the floor laughing. I was dying. Mm. It was this beautiful. ringtone is one of many parts of a ringtone. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And the first part is you're receiving a call. Bojack's ringtone is a Muzak version of the Horse and Around uh, theme, which suggests he's completely locked in that one moment. Mm. And Mr. Peanut Butter's is the vocal version of the Mr. Peanut Butter's house theme. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And Princess Caroline's hold music is Jellicle Cats from the musical yes, Cats. When, yes, yes. <laughs> when you're walking along, because Caroline's Jellicle Cats and oh my God, ah, that's what it was. Terrible. <laughs> when you're walking along. Part of the beauty of that scene, though, with um, with Diana, Mr. Peanut Butter, is that she's said to Bojack that what she really wants to happen is to be able to go home and just not have to talk about it and to just have him say that he loves her and her say that she loves him Mm -hmm. and for them to just carry on without having to deal with the fact that she came back two months early and didn't tell him. Um, And that is almost exactly what she gets. Mm -hmm. He's looking straight Mm -hmm. at her. He's not asking for an explanation. He's not even insisting in that moment that she admits she's there. Mm -hmm. And it is very rare that somebody desperately wants a situation to be fixed in a very specific way and get exactly what they want. Yeah. Usually, I think that's especially a, with Bojack, it's not as easy as that. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a testament, though, to how well, like, I think uh, there's a couple of different characters, but mostly Bojack say that, and insist that Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter are not right for each other. And even Diane you know, kind of goes off on a, on a tangent occasionally and says like, you don't understand me. All of this was for you, but Mr. Peanut butter does understand her and, and does really know who she is as a person. It's a testament to why they're together and why they're a good couple. Yeah. It reminds you that she does love him. It, you mm. and you have points in the series when you're like, why is she with him? And that scene is like, this. that's why. This is exactly why. Mm-hmm. Because he loves her. He knows her, maybe not as well as he should, but he knows her better than she often thinks he does. Mm, and definitely. he loves her anyway, which is exactly what she needs. Okay, so we didn't really get into the Hollywood stars and celebrities. What do um, they know? What do they know? Do, do they, they know, know things? things? Let's find out. Let's find out. <laughs> But I think one of my favorite moments and or one of my I think something that really summed up the the kind of arc of season two for me was um, when Bojack is a guest on this show that Mr. Peanut Butter is hosting Mm. and things like the facade, the mask, if you will, starts to come off a little bit. And Mr. Peanut Butter pretty much stops the game show 
this like bright, colorful, fun game show in the middle of everything just stops and says, okay, Bojack, you know what? You want to get into it? Let's get into it. He pulls out two folding chairs and uh, (laughs) the effects, it starts like raining on them and all of their relationship just comes out in this huge emotional outburst where they're like, listen, this is how it is. And I have tried so hard. Mr. Peanutbutter is saying to Bojack, I've tried so hard to be nice to you. I have tried like all I want is to be your friend. That's all I've ever wanted. And you come back at me with your sarcasm and you think I don't see it, but I do see it. And I do notice. And it's hurtful to me. It's very hurtful to me. And I don't understand why we can't be friends and why you can't just like me. And, and P.S., you've got everything you could ever possibly want. What more could the universe possibly owe you? And Bojack's response is basically just to admit that he doesn't feel good about himself, he doesn't know how to, and he envies Mr. Peanut Butter for having that ability, for being able to to have some happiness of of the things that he has. Mm -hmm. I thought that was, that really just summed up all of, of season two and their relationship as well. I also like the fact that um, you get to see basically serious and silly uh, Mr. Peanut Butter in this. For example, serious Mr. Peanut Butter, I know that you kissed Diane, she told me. Silly Mr. Peanut Butter, so that means that we have to kiss that way. I've had the same thing she has. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's the other unwanted kiss, and it's like, yeah, I have to kiss you so that I have the same experience she did, and it's only fair, and that's kind of like the big uh, punchline to it, like Bojack, very much like Herb, you know, he asks for Mr. Peanut Butter's forgiveness. At first, he seems a little reluctant to give it to him, but then, you know, because he's such a good-natured guy, because he's so likable and lovable, and and is like, well, I re- I truly want to be friends with this person. He ends up forgiving Bojack anyway, and then they make out for like way longer than is necessary which is a testament also to the brilliance of the show in general because i can mm. totally buy this as an actual show that might have been especially in the 90s early 2000s mm. that this show could have actually happened this game show that turns serious yeah. Yeah. It could have been real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, extra props. It feels like it's just a footnote at the end after you've just sold the uh, the brilliance of the Mr. Peanut Butter um, coming to a head uh, with Bojack. They could, by the way, be much better friends if they were just honest with each other. And the the uh, that Mr. Peanut Butter, like every time Bojack behaved like a jerk to him, Mr. Peanut Butter was immediately able to then tell him, "Don't do that." Um, he, he can't because that that's the thing. To do that, Mr. Peanut Butter needs to have a streak of Bojack's um, sharpness. Not cyn- cynicism, exactly, but yeah, sharpness is a, yeah. is a good way of putting it. That he can see this and acknowledge it. And Bojack needs to have a streak of Mr. Peanut Butter's optimism. If mm. they can exchange those qualities, then I think you're right. It would make them much better friends. But he's not sharp. He's bouncy and round mm. and fuzzy, and like a like a tennis ball. 
Yeah. Not lolloping. Oh. That wasn't going to be one of the words I used, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> and yellow, like a tennis ball. Um, but no, the, what I was going to say was Alan Arkin as J.D. Salinger is, is... Well, Alan Arkin oh. is another of those oh, actors yeah. who's always <laughs> amazing as everything, but uh, yeah. yeah. Um, the brilliance of live TV. <laughs> okay, so, season three, after the music. Oh, my phone. What should I do with it, Todd? Maybe you should hold it. Uh-huh. No, I'll take it with me. All right. No, you hold it. Your thing, yeah. No, put it in my jacket pocket. Right here? Okay. Oh, no, it's a fake pocket. Tricked again. Todd, it's ringing. This is it. Oh, no, my phone. Oh, no, I kicked it right through that doorway into the hallway. Now other people are kicking it, and it's sliding across the floor. Okay, this is getting absurd. Let's get that phone. Mr. Peanut Butter, you have been invited to the stage. Mr. Peanut Butter. Who's that, dog? Mr. Peanut Butter. So season three, Bojack is trying to win an award. He's trying to win an Oscar for... Uh, well, he's not even trying. Like, like It's it's being mooted as that he, he could be in with a chance of getting an Oscar for playing Secretariat. So it's like this natural progression up the uh, fame ladder. And, and every uh, season has this different focus. And, uh, he's Except got, not actually playing Secretariat. Yeah, the, no, because well, he, most of that's the, an excellent point. <laughs> most of the film um, was played by a CGI double of him, which is a brilliant send-up of the idea that um, when they first started mooting, like CGI doubles around about the time when poor Oliver Reed died before Gladiator would be finished. The actors were like, fucking hell. Like, with CGI doubles, they don't even need actors anymore. Which is, of course, bullshit. Yes. <laughs> Who's oh. voicing the actor? An actor. Of course you need oh, actors. Yeah. But, yeah, the... Uh, Could you even... Yeah, even something like, you know, a, a, a fully realized creature like Gollum. Yeah. Who would not have ever existed without Andy Serkis. The best CGI creations that you guys can think of are entirely based on an incredible physical performance from an actor. Definitely. So it's, it's, it's not – also, it will always be cheaper just to get people and put them in costumes mm. than to get an entirely CGI horse. Yeah. I do – Plus, especially since CGI is one of the few things that just can't get horses right. <laughs> I do love the <laughs> yeah, way enough. they seed this, though. It's, it's almost just in passing while another conversation yeah. is going on when uh, Bojack first arrives they scan on set. His face, yeah. They scan his face. And it's just like, well, in case something happens to you before we finish, yeah. we can still – so, I mean, Bojack um, is in, in the chance to, to win an, an Oscar for this performance, despite the fact that he didn't actually do it, which it, it seems to blunt the idea of pushing towards this award. So it's, it's, it's the focus of the season, but he just doesn't care. And by the end of it, the season, he really doesn't care. And this is the one thing he's always wanted, to play Secretariat and to be recognised for it. Mm. But it, it also comes back to this idea that everything in his life that should bring him happiness mm. has a core of um, of something at the centre of it that makes it not 
that poisons it. There's there's something in yeah. it. He, he can't accept that if he's recognised for this, it's worth anything because he feels like a fraud because he knows he wasn't really him. He can't accept um, that the uh, the money that he's got in his life is means anything to him because the way he earned it wasn't really what he wanted to do. Um, so everything that he's got that is eluding him in this whole, you know, the search for happiness quest... There's there's something at the centre of it that's mm. going to sour it for him. And I wonder if even if he had completed with Kelsey uh, the the whole film, just acting as secretary himself, whether he could have gone away from that feeling in the moment, I am proud of this work, uh, and that if he'd been nominated for an Oscar, whether he'd have still been aloof about it, and whether it would have required a lot of time and a lot of perspective for him to really be proud of that work. Because if yeah. he was proud of it, he would have stuck with the film in the first place. Well, Anna Svanakopita actually pointed out in the first episode of the season, um, and we haven't introduced her, but she's the person Bassett. trying to. Yes, Angela the Bassett. She has a wonderful job with it. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's her job is to get him an Oscar. And mm. another thing I love about the season is that it points out that winning an Oscar is not about merit; it's about selling it yeah. on the back end. It's marketing. And that's yeah, yeah exactly. It's it's a mm-hmm. Hollywood thing that people don't like to talk about, mm. but uh, she points out to him. You're going to win this Oscar, and it's going to be one great night, and then that night is over. Mm. But you're going to get one great night out of it. And again, that goes back to the theme that sometimes you grab onto the one thing you can have because happiness is ephemeral, and you cannot always be happy. Mm. So you have to enjoy the things that make you happy at the moment and recognize that they will be gone. See, I can't relate to that. For, for me, it's like, you know, I, I, I do this show so that I can have a body of work behind me and go... That was really good. People are listening back to old shows. and like, There's a reason I don't do a news show, because you don't listen back to old news programs, but you can listen back to old overviews of movies and TV. And yeah. obviously writing the book is a, is a major step of like being able to get work behind me that lives on, that if I drop dead tomorrow, people yeah. would read or listen to and go, that was pretty good. That, that is an accomplishment. I don't get why Bojack doesn't you know, pursue that. Because everything that's behind him is tainted. Hmm. He's running. Mm. He can't look back because when he does, there's nothing there but pain. Well, also, he doesn't even have pride in in horsing around when he's asked to defend the the show itself. Uh, He says, that was a very efficient show. It was was very good at selling ad space, which is exactly what shows like that are supposed to be for. Not about what the message was. Not about what that Diane maintains. You helped a lot of people. People liked that horse. And that yeah. horse technically is part of Bojack, whether he likes it or not. Yeah. There is a Did part you see of the uh, Christmas special? Like. Yes, yes. Yeah, that, that's kind of the point of the Christmas special, too, where he's saying that he doesn't watch the Christmas specials of Horsing Around because, as far as he's concerned, they are even more empty than any of the rest of them. They try to Hammer drum off the... home without uh, earning it. Yeah. Exactly. Diane says at some point that basically... Um, Horsing around and and Bojack himself did, he did make a difference to some people. He did touch people's lives, um, but not maybe not in the way that he wanted or expected to. Hmm. So well, it, there's kind of like that little glimmer of hope right at the end, where she says, "No, like I, I used to watch Horsing Around," and he's like, "Why, why didn't you mention that at all hmm. <laughs> when we were doing the when you were researching me?" He said, "Well, you know." some kind of author's integrity, but Hmm. it was significant to her. She had not the best 
family to grow up with. So this was a little bit of an escape for her and for millions of people. They were able to kind of put aside their troubles and kind of escape into this, you know, this kind of idealized family. So maybe it helped somebody out of a hard time. Maybe it helped someone feel better about themselves and think, no, I can, I can push through the next day. Well, and I think, you know, for people like those of us watching other Bojack's audience and the audience for horsing around, you know, you, you see an idealized version, not Bojack's show specifically, but in most TV, you see an idealized version of that world. And for Bojack, all he can see is the guts and the bad and the the stuff that's happened. He can't see, he can't take any hope from that. Because he's seen the strings on that one. And that idealized yeah. version of himself, he knows is, or he sees as fake. He, he doesn't make that connection between, well, you couldn't have played the horse in Horsin' Around unless that was essentially a part of you. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't seem to make that link between that version of himself actually being something that he could aspire to until the very end when that is really what he's trying to do. It's a frightening thought for an actor that uh, some performances, especially the more sinister performances, like, for example, Ledger's Joker, have to come from somewhere inside. You, he didn't just pull that out of nothing. You've, you've got yeah. to be able to access, uh, you know, especially for, for, the, for the darker roles, a darker aspect of yourself. So technically every performance is a facet of you. It's dreaming. There's a silent episode in this, which is one of the greatest uh, pieces of animation achievement Uh, for TV. Um, It's fish out of water. Fish out of water. Um, For those who, for some reason, are listening without you know going back and watching the whole uh, season um, themselves, uh, Bojack goes to uh, an awards festival. Just it's it's sort of like a Sundance type. Uh, thing like in the pre- preamble roundup to the Oscars, um, but it's very kind of lost in translation. Like very deliberately, they make they draw that parallel. It's under the sea, um, and so there's a, a culture shock thing where Bojack's sort of wandering around. And apparently, if you give the thumbs up to uh, marine life, they get very affronted. Um, but <laughs> once he's underwater, no one says anything because it's all just bubbles and, and, and muffled speech. So it's all visual storytelling. So he's sort of just wandering around, exemplified by the, by the fact that the um, actual party that he's supposed to be going to and, and doing interviews for starts at 7 o'clock and he gets into his hotel room at 1 o'clock, which is excruciating for him you know six hours of just sitting around doing nothing as opposed to actually being excited about being in this um you know bright vibrant exuberant place um and kelsey's uh, wandering around the place as well and every time he almost bumps into her he's in- he's incredibly embarrassed because uh, he did not prevent her being fired and it's his fault that she was fired and so he attempts to write her a multitude of notes which get less shitty as he writes them, but just are still inane until he finally uh, figures uh, one out at the end. But um, it, it just it shows that he he just his inability to connect person to person is is a disability mm-hmm. for him. Yeah. It, it's it, it's well, like did, uh, interpersonal social anxiety. Yeah, the, this idea of of like I said before, any um, instance where he's submerged in water is kind of representative of the idea that this is 
this is how he feels he's going to die. Um, there's also the fact that, that when, um, and again, I think this is a reference to how depression can feel sometimes um, and, and how uh, anxiety, and especially anxiety in combination with depression, can feel, where it's like you can't hear things properly. Um, and, and I've had days where I have conversations with people and everybody sounds like the adults in Peanuts. Because it's it's like it's I know they're words I should understand, but nothing's going in, mm. and it it just it creates this artificial distance between you and the rest of the world, and it's everything's muffled and everything's deadened, and you know there's all this stuff going on around that that looks like it should make sense, but you don't quite understand why this is happening. Um, and it's it's really difficult to to connect with. And I think one of the most it's it's and again, it's a jokey moment. It's a comedy moment, but one of the best bits in this for me is when he realizes that it is actually possible to talk. You just have to press the button on your, yeah. your, your well, that's that's the that punch was the line, best yeah. punchline. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, it's yeah. fantastic. That, that's the thing. They set it up brilliantly and they, then they just really oh do. But just the, the idea that he would go through all of this just assuming that it's impossible for everybody else to communicate <laughs> too. <laughs> and it never it never occurs to him to kind of try and ask anybody. And there, there are even moments where people do try to, to kind of extend a, a helping hand out to him and, and show him how things are done around here that, that he hasn't even occurred to him, like the little vodka capsules that you insert. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> vodka suppositories. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, that he's he's not only um, oblivious to his own inability to to connect in this environment, but it doesn't occur to him to try and and sort of reach out to anybody else. And again, when you're when you're under that, mm. when you're under that crushing weight of God knows how many oceans are on top of your head, and that's how it feels, and you're trying to walk around with your brain full of water. Um, that it, it doesn't occur to you that that somebody might actually be able to help you out and give you a way to to deal with this. Yeah. Well, and it feels like nobody can. Mm. Yeah. yeah. When, when you're in that when when you're in that space. Yeah. Such as when he was trying to walk the taffy. Yeah. Yes. Oh God. Yes, that as well. Yeah. I nearly said. I nearly turned to you, Alex, when we were watching that, and said, "Right, when when I'm." like that when I'm so tired and I can't think and, mm. and it's that's like walking it's through like freshwater walking through taffy. taffy yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, one thing about that episode that and this is going to be, probably be stupid to everybody but me it was a joke um, so for context the mantis shrimp um, when it attacks its prey does it by punching it to death as faster than the speed of sound <laughs> there is a mantis shrimp working in the um, freshwater taffy factory mm-hmm. and when Bozak, in- Bozak encounters him he punches the mantis shrimp out and I thought that was hilarious <laughs> <laughs> the um, there's also shenanigans that go on in this episode for some reason if you haven't seen it there, uh, where Bojack ends up um, trying to get a baby seahorse that's just been born back to its father uh, because uh, seahorses produce, reproduce asexually or is it the males no, 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 the, give the, birth? Uh, yeah. The males carry the, yeah. the young, yeah. Um, and uh, it's the whole, oh, there's a baby, like shenanigans. But the, um, the, the two heartbreaking things about it... Um, uh, the, the fact that all of this like is mostly irritated by the baby, but the fact that it resembles Harper, the baby that he wishes he'd had, it being a seahorse, 
um, yeah. the whole time. Um, but but also that when he finally gets it back to the father and it gets put in with his other five brothers or and or sisters, um, he sort of looks back to the table to see wh- you know whether he's going to get a look back from this um, child as a sort of you know did this you know escapade we went through mean anything to you? And he can't tell which one it is because none of them are looking at him, and it meant a great deal. And they to all him. look and they all kind of look the same too. Yeah. It meant a great deal to him, and it meant nothing to the father, who has to just sort of wearily relabel his sign from, well done, you just gave birth to five babies, to six babies. Um, and, you know, you know, obviously, manifestly, it would have been fraught with problems of, can I have this child? But clearly, Bojack, you know, has that aspect of himself that's been desperately need of, in need of nurturing, the inner father uh, that wants to nurture the inner child. And um, he just sort of has to give it back and then just walk away from a situation where he doesn't even really get that sense of satisfaction that, you know, yeah. at least it's it's back with its loving family because it, no one seems to really care all that much. Yeah. He can't talk to any of them. They can't seem to really connect. And then, mm. yeah, the dad is just like, what? What do you want? Why are you still standing in my doorway? Mm. He thinks he wants money at first. And, and Bosch is like, no, 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 no. And mm. I think what he really just wants to say is like, hey, you know, just have that moment of closure. Yeah. Which he doesn't really ever you. get. Mm. Or even a something. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> An acknowledgement yeah, that this thing meant something to him meant something to someone else. Yeah, I think the the father does kind of suggest that he should come in and, and eat with them. And Bojack mm. says no. Mm. And holds his arm. Mm. Um, but that that clarifies it for him in that he's finally able to write his note for Kelsey, which is, um, I'm paraphrasing here, the only things we have are the connections we make. Which sort of goes back to Diane's insistence that it's the things we do that define us. In this case, he's taking it sort of a step further that... Basically, the only thing that the only people that we are is who we are to others. Mm. But he never uh, gets to deliver that message because it uh, the the ink drifts away. Why do they even have pens underwater if the ink drifts? Exactly, away? What I was about about this place <laughs> that's what sense. I was thinking too. Well, it was a it was a um, he like squeezed he reached over and squeezed a because he's underwater. Oh, was it a, yeah, a, a, a squid? An octopus. A squid, yeah, a squid, to, yeah, to get him to ink, and then he took some of the ink to write the note. Yeah, the, the beginning, you know? yeah, but this is a pen he got off the taxi driver. Oh, that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's right. right. Uh, but um, it feels and he like... still doesn't. And he's uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he still doesn't reach out to Kelsey after that incident, does he? No, well, no. He tries to give her the note. She mm-hmm. looks at it and then gives it back to him and then walks away. Yeah. And then he can't but catch it's... up with her. But he realizes that it meant it was just gibberish by that point, and he's lost her. Yeah. And missed her. This is I. I think that's a, a big kind of recurring theme for for BoJack as a character too. Is you know he in season two he listens to this kind of motivational tape that says you know you, you, change is possible. Well, is it is change really possible for BoJack? It does a lot of points. It doesn't seem like it really is not permanently anyway. Because with Kelsey, it's like it's Herb all over again. He. Yeah could have reached out to her at any point after she was off of secretariat. He can reach out to her after he gets out of this underwater city and can reach out to her on land where he can communicate better. Mm. He doesn't do it. So does he, is he ever going to really change? 
we, that's a, a huge question for his character, I think. You didn't mention who, who uh, voiced the motivational tapes. It's George Takei. Oh, that's George. Yeah, George Takei. The mountain is a metaphor. Everything is a metaphor. Metaphor. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That the 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 thing with with Kelsey, he really could pursue that and and doesn't. And I would say that it is a little bit him. He's changed and grown at least a little. Oh yeah. The fact, the fact that, that, he's that he's able trying, to get that clarity. That he's getting that clarity and he's trying to make amends with her, even in a very limited sort of way, yeah. is he is a little better person, at least than he was at the start of the show. At the start, he would have ran screaming if she was in the same room. He would have found a way not to be in that room instead of at mm-hmm. least made an attempt to reach out. Or pretended that she wasn't there or that it didn't matter. Didn't yeah. bother him. Mm-hmm. Like he did at first in the early notes, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Um, so even over the course of the episode, he's grown this this experience with this baby you know, made him grow as a person at least a little bit. He had to actually take care of something for once. Yeah. He had to be completely selfless. Yeah. You just say, oh, I, uh, this thing can't fend for itself. I have to actually be the responsible one mm. for at least <laughs> this one tiny f- fragment of my life. <laughs> <laughs> And once again, he's reminded of the the uh, uh, the envy of Mr. Peanut Butter in that Mr. Peanut Butter's advertising Santori whiskey style. Uh, you know, uh, he's yeah. he's holding a bunch of uh, uh, unicorn babies and feeding them unicorn milk. And you know, so, so take it from me, a childless dog on the uh, posters. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's almost like um like like that I mean it's it's ridiculously exaggerated but it's almost like that's what Bojack's con- perception of that commercial is like oh you know so much about raising you, uh, seahorses um also yeah speaking of peanut butter in this uh, season there's uh, he's is, is, was it what's the, this startup company he has with Todd. Oh, uh, Cabra-Cadabra. Cabra-Cadabra, yeah. Yes. Uh, it's actually a really good idea. In its initial format, it's actually a really good idea. It's Somebody needs brilliant. to jump on that. Yeah, it's it's, start, it's mm-hmm. basically, for folks who haven't seen it, um, it's what's it called? Uber, but um, a safe space for women, or at least it starts out that way. And then it becomes a safe-ish space for women, but a very safe space for men. And it's that is a right up to the second um, level of satire regarding how like the, the 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 sudden kickback of men's rights activists and the, like you know there's just sprung up in the past couple of years like men have always been shits to women but right now they're finding new ways to be shits to women to the point where a safe space for women is still is now something that is needed <clears throat> mm. and at the end cabra t- yeah cabra cabra basically ends up being like an escort service. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's strippers come and pick you up and drive you places. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it's pretty much the exact yeah, it does a complete 180 and yeah. becomes the total polar opposite of what it was started out to be. Or well, or you could just boil it down to four simple words. Gross guys ruin everything. Yeah. <laughs> Or dumb Todd ruins everything? Uh, no, dumb Todd allows <laughs> gross guys to ruin everything. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't uh, step in to say, well, that ain't cool. 
Um, but this is around the time, like, you know, we've got to take it down a bit because by the, the middle end of the season, um, taught, you know, Bojack has pushed everyone away. He's having this giant party. He's driving his Tesla backwards into the pool. People are nibbling on his giant chocolate Oscar. Um, and it's for uh, it's because Mr. Peanut Butter erroneously announced his name on the list of nominees. Does that turn out to actually be um, just straight up bullshit and that he, yeah. he shouldn't have been nominated? Have been it's a Marissa Tomei situation. Yeah. Um, oh. So they they rescind oh. it, and then he goes from being um, I, that's not me bad mouthing to Marissa Tomei, who I'm really looking forward to seeing in, as Aunt May. Uh, no, so, oh, yeah. it just kind of it just kind of stings a little. Like explain. Oh, but she should have been. She should have been. What? Just give Marissa. Just give Marissa Tomei a, an Oscar for something. Well, that, that's what happened with Scorsese. We could Leonardo DiCaprio. We could do it for Marissa yeah, Tomei. The, the, yeah. DiCaprio and Scorsese is like, oh, for God's sake, give him an Oscar yeah. for something, as opposed yeah. to <laughs> actually what they were really, really good at. So Will Smith didn't get the Oscar for Ali, but for God's sake, he can do a bunch of Oscar-worthy pictures until we eventually give one out of what feels like charity in the end. That doesn't feel earned. They could do a whole Bojack season on that as well, but they've already kind of dabbled with the Oscars. Mm. The question then is, is it give them an Oscar, they've earned it, or is it give them an Oscar so they'll stop trying, please? Basically, they should make that whole (laughs) Lifetime Achievement Award more of a, like, you don't have to necessarily get it at the end of your life, especially as people are being snatched away. Like Alan Rickman, (laughs) fucking hell, give that guy a posthumous award. Oh, absolutely. Gene Wilder. Oh, yeah. Oh, now, now I'm getting depressed just thinking of how long the Oscar remembrance reel is going to be this year. We're going to get. Oh it. my god! Just watching it. Oh. These podcasts were actually recorded in 2016, September of 2016. They're being released a year after being recorded to tie in with BoJack season four. Oh. So yeah, um, BoJack started pushing everybody away, and Todd confronts him with the possibility that the certainty, in fact, maybe it's just you that's doing all this stuff. You know, you, you blame everybody else, but you're, uh, you never really take responsibility. It's just you. And Todd has to move out, which is fairly devastating for Bojack. It's not treated as such, but that's a huge step because then his house is empty and he uh-huh. really falls apart at that point. He's not and another major, major uh, aspect of it. He fires Princess Carolyn because although it's actually the right thing to do, She's desperate to stay uh, on with him. He needs to make it clearer, I'm bad for you. This is the best thing that could happen to you, as opposed to, this isn't right for me. And Does he realize, though, that that's the case? Or is he sitting there literally still incapable of thinking of this as an act of charity? I think he's starting to. He, he seems like he is starting to just the inkling, the beginning of understanding how self-destructive this has been, how destructive just in general this has been. Uh, yeah. The, and I think the situation at the end of last season with Charlotte and Penny, uh, he's real. Well, I believe he would equate himself with poison at this stage mm-hmm. that he ruins everything. But then and yeah. he, he says that about himself too. Yeah. yeah. That, that's one of the reasons why um, this progression downwards is so sad though, because it's, it's like he, it's like he's dying by degrees. He's basically, he, he's almost, removing everything that could tether him to this life before making the final step. 
I want to say it's Todd or Mr. Peanut Butter. He, or no, maybe it's Diane. He, he uh, yells at her at his party that there's going to be mm-hmm. plenty of people around when he uh, dies. Was it when he commits suicide? Exactly. Oh, oh yeah. Exactly where I was about to go. Left yeah. When you, um, when you kill yourself. And yeah, and he uh, he, he screams, you know, jokingly, "There's going to be plenty of people around when I kill myself." Um, but yeah, no, he's just he's systematically uh, untethering the various people that are close to him. Well, I've heard of past a point of no return, but this is ridiculous. Ugh. Why didn't you just tell me you made too much spaghetti? Well, I thought if you knew I made a big mess that you wouldn't love me anymore. Sabrina, that's not going to happen. We're a family now, no matter what. And I will always be there for you. Okay. Mm. Now get in that kitchen and eat all that spaghetti. I gotta eat all that? That's too much, man! I never understood why the horse in a roundhouse had two sets of stairs. What? One in the living room and one in the kitchen. Why? Have you ever been in a house like that? What are you doing here? You didn't answer your phone. I was worried about you. (sighs) The funeral was huge. So many people there. I kept thinking, I did this to her. And everyone was just standing around like, well, this is bound to happen. But it wasn't bound to happen. I'm really sorry, Bojack. I don't know how to be, Diane doesn't get better and it doesn't get easier. I can't keep lying to myself saying I'm going to change. I'm poison. Bojack. I come from poison. I have poison inside me and I destroy everything I touch. That's my legacy. I have nothing to show for the life that I've lived and I have nobody in my life who's better off for having known me. That isn't true. Isn't it though? When I was a kid, I used to watch you on TV. And you know I didn't have the best family. Things weren't that great for me. But for half an hour every week, I got to watch this show about four people who had nobody who came together and became a family. And for half an hour every week, I had a home. And it helped me survive. Bojack, there are millions of people who are better off for having known you. Why did you never tell me that? I guess to preserve some fiction of journalistic objectivity, like... That's a thing. I know you don't want to hear this, but you're too good to be writing Instagram captions for celebrities. I'm not just writing... I'm sorry, but you are. You know you are. Okay, thank you. And I wish you didn't get so distant after you moved out. I'm sorry. You know me better than anybody, and you can't not be a part of my life. Is this a good time to talk about Sarah Lynn? This was what I was because I feel like to. this yeah. that kind of leads right into what happens next, which is yeah, I um, need to self destruct. I can't take responsibility for my life or my actions anymore. I need a good excuse to go on a gigantic bender. I'm going to go to Sarah Lynn because Before, just, she's the ultimate enabler. I want to mention, and I don't know if if you want to wait, whatever, that's fine. I want to. I think we need to at least touch on uh, the episode "Brat Brat Pew Pew." Yeah, go for it. it was, oh okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I feel like that's it's kind of Bojack Horseman did an episode about abortion. Yeah. In a good and kind of sensitive way, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it that I, yeah blew me Definitely. away. I was I was just wow. It's. It, it just to give to give a quick overview, it's um, 
Diane finds out she's pregnant with Mr. Peanut Butter's child or children. I, have, I don't know how that works Please. with answer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. she have a litter? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, they're, they're talking about it and they decide that they're going to have an abortion. And she's she's kind of dealing with this mentally as she's preparing herself to do this and whatnot. And she is the social media representative for um, Se- a... Sextina Aquafina. Tina Aquafina. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> voiced by voiced Aisha by... Taylor from The Archer. Yeah, which is amazing yeah. and wonderful. Pop star and child actress Sarah Lynn celebrates her 30th birthday this month, raising the question, does anyone care about Sarah Lynn anymore? After all, she is 30. Here to answer that question, sexy 14-year-old dubstep wonderkin, Sextina Aquafina. Sextina, what's your take? I love Sarah Lynn. I grew up on her music. Okay, and she's like an inspiration. But now she is old and shriveled and gross, and nobody want her no more. Okay, they want Sextina Aquafina, baby. Ha <laughs> you're delightful. So, where does Sarah Lynn go from here? Oh, you know where she should go. She should go wherever famous people go when they're done being famous, and nobody cares if they live or die. And she accidentally tweets out in her stress and trying to come to terms with all of this for Sextina that I'm having an abortion. And it turns into a whole thing and Sextina is like, no, we're we're let's make this a media thing. Let's mm. let's play yeah, let's on go this. with it. It seems mm-hmm. disastrous yeah. at first, but then she's receiving support from Taylor Swift and suddenly it becomes uh, you know, you're so brave for saying this in public. Yeah, and she writes a song that sounds awful, but then they talk to, you know, when Diane goes into the abortion clinic Another gal's like, she's like, this was kind of perfect. It's obviously, it's ridiculous and over the top, but it it gave me some relief and some way to laugh in this serious situation that and I'm in. If anything, it's a meta commentary on the episode we're watching. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the idea mm. that you, you hear that's happening and you think, oh God, this is going to be ham-fisted and, and over the top and ridiculous and... Actually, on a very special episode of BoJack Horseman. Yeah. And it's refreshingly different, you know, even, and I I love the, the part where they're in the car and Diane and Mr. Peanut are like, okay, well, we always said that, you know, we would, if we were going to have kids, this is how we were going to do it. So why don't we just say at the same time what we want to do? And y- y- our expectation is that someone is going to say that they want to keep the baby mm-hmm. and they they go okay three two one i want to have an abortion they abortion. say the same thing at the same time <laughs> and mr peanut butter actually says damn it we said the same we said different things yeah. that's our <laughs> expectation mm-hmm. and and it totally uh, just throws out the window like we so expect that to be what happens that even he says damn we said oh we said different things and mm-hmm. and i like that they kind of take an, an adult approach to it it's like you know what? Nobody, uh, you know, people are starting to give Diane crap for having an abortion at her age, but no one can tell you when you're ready to have children. And there's no specific age at which you should have or should start planning for it. No one can tell you when you're ready. And I like that Diane kind of stands her ground in that and says, you know what? We're not ready for this responsibility. Maybe someday we will be, but it's not now. And no one can tell me that I'm wrong because I know what's right for me. The fact that the 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 in the ending of the episode that 
is the kind of gut punch of the fact that in the end, Sextina finds out that she is pregnant. Yes. And she wants, and she wants to keep the baby. It. Yeah. And her, who's perceived as being, at least perceived as being pr- very promiscuous and, you know, all sex all the time, wants to, you know, wants to be a parent. And Mr. Peanut Butter and Diane, who are, you know, quote unquote, the ultimate, you know, should want to be parents. And they have a stable relationship. They're married at this point, I believe. I think, yeah. I think that was season one. Yeah, but they, they are. They're, mm-hmm. they're married and, you know, they're they're in the ideal situation, quote unquote, to have a child, don't want a kid. Mm. And it's like the interesting juxtaposition of that just the, the whole episode just blew my mind. It's it's that's going to stick in my head for yeah. a while. That, yeah. that was a big standout episode for me, too. Mm. Well, this this um, the the convenient stereotype that gets pushed of, um, you know, by by people who are um, who generally tend to be uh, against the idea of abortion being available is that it's, you know, irresponsible young girls who weren't thinking and, and something went wrong and they, they need to correct a mistake. And that's the perception that allows people to think that they kind of have a right to, to have an opinion about this and make a judgment on it. But, I mean, certainly in this country, I don't know if it's the same in America, but the statistics show that there are a, a sizable proportion of women who uh, decide that they want to have terminations or, you know, people who become pregnant and decide they don't want to continue with the pregnancy. A lot of them are they're married or they're in stable relationships. They've got a kid or two already. They don't want their uh-huh. family to get any bigger. It's a completely different scenario. And it's one that very rarely falls into the narrative. Yep, that's that is the case here in America mm-hmm. as well. The majority of women who have abortions already have children um, when they do. It's just they already have their families as large as they want it to be. One thing that's really cool about uh, Todd in this, um, and it, it gets hinted at in a, in a flashback episode, and then at the like in the last episode, basically, mm-hmm. gets uh, confirmed, is Todd gets asked by a girl who clearly likes him, you know, do you like me? I'm confused. And, you know, are you gay? And he says, I don't think I'm gay. I don't think I'm straight either. I think I'm dot, 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 nothing. And it is so rare that asexuality gets discussed as a major character point in anything. It's coming up more. Uh, Jughead recently was revealed to be asexual in the Archie comics, which mm. I liked. Uh, Chip Zdarsky did that uh, toward the end of his run. Yeah. And that's now a canon thing. And but he's uh, bur- it's consistent with his character throughout the whole series. You know, like he's he's very enthusiastic, mm-hmm. he's very loving, but um, he doesn't seem to be particularly interested in sex, and or, mm-hmm. or specifically uh, um, attracted to either males or females in either direction. Um, so it's I've seen it said uh, that you know Todd Chavez is how you portray asexuality, and obviously there's not just one way, but this is clearly a very good way. Yeah. So, what are you going to do with your $8 million? First, I'm going to get a really fancy hat. Like, really fancy. Then I'm going to get a t-shirt that says, hey, look at my hat. (laughs) What about you? I've always wanted to go to a super nice restaurant and order everything on the menu. Oh, yeah. That's like first day millionaire stuff. We should go sometime. Together. Todd, can I ask you something? Of course. What's your deal i feel like you like me but you don't like me but you like me and i don't know what that is are you gay 
Whoa. Why would you even... You can tell me if you're gay. It's fine. This isn't the 1600s or some places in the present. I'm not gay. I mean, I don't think I am, but I don't think I'm straight either. I don't know what I am. I think I might be nothing. Oh. Well, that's okay. Yeah? Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. Oh, crap! I accidentally tipped the waitress eight million dollars! Well, guess I'm broke again. Some <laughs> make it when they are. Uh, it's really, really difficult to finish this one off, folks, because the, the end of season three is fucking devastating. And, uh-huh. um... Uh, yeah. Just gonna have to bear with us on this one. Sarah Lynn, as we said, uh, is who uh, Bojack calls on to uh, enable him to destroy himself with drink and drugs. Let's not mince words on this one. He is crashing and burning, and uh, he's trying mm-hmm. to basically pull a Nicolas Cage in leaving Las Vegas. Uh, but you see, it's it's a two way thing. So he calls a, a, a girl who has, and we haven't really talked about Sarah Lynn because we were saving it for this. Voiced by Kristen Schaal, who is an amazing voice actor. Oh, an amazing actor. Yeah, yeah. And does, I mean, she's fantastic as Maybell in uh, uh, Gravity Falls. Throughout history, stickers have been the backbone of many great civilizations. No, they haven't. The ancient Greeks used leeches for stickers. The more stickers you had, the cooler you were. Nope, not true. The ancient Aztec's chest skull was the modern equivalent to today's Orange You Happy Mod. Yes, Aztec war paint was exactly like a Rasta orange. Mabel, have you ever read a history book? Edit it out! Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I kept spending, mm. I spent the entirety of this uh, of this last season with her saying, I wish she could spend a week with Mabel Pines. Yeah. That would help. But dramatically speaking, this couple of episodes is some of her, is her best performances that I've seen her in, and she has got such range. Um, she, basically, she went from being uh, this cute little Mickey Mouse-style t- girl to being a sort of uh, a young virginal sex pop popstrel that was, you know, marketed as, you know, she's older now. She thinks and talks about sex. And so, you know, we're, we're marketing her to you in this fashion now. We have completely switched it up, which is a... Very deep- much... Britney Spears or Lindsay Lohan. Britney Spears, definitely. The Olsen twins. And more specifically and more recently, Miley Cyrus. It's such a condemnation of that soulless fucking angling of a previously very virginal girl now as this is the girl you can fuck which is one of the most Uh disturbing sides of celebrity for me. I have always been unsettled by it, and the natural response from any girl put through it, and they even made a whole episode about this in South Park, about, you know, Britney Spears trying to blow her head off, and then the usual crass bullshit Mm. from the guys from South Park. She actually succeeds in blowing her head off, but doesn't actually die, and so she's wandering around, and they're trying to keep her alive but the it's a children of the corn type thing the gods must be appeased and we must have a celebrity girl killed by the the way we're marketing her um yeah. and just this fucking lifestyle that she's being forced through uh-huh. for the episode i was reading an article that mara wilson wrote and yeah. she mentions in that about how 
the minute you hit puberty, they will start sexualizing you. Yeah. In Hollywood. That's just the way it works. Emma Watson was very shrewd in staying out of this as well. She is she has marketed herself very strongly as being somebody who's very genuine mm-hmm. and who actually ha- has an ethical backbone and has positioned herself as a speaker rather than a body. Mm, but I think a lot of that, though, um, and, and this is not to take any credit uh-huh. away from Emma Watson at all, she was very, very lucky. And she was also, as she was growing up in this environment, you look at the people that she was surrounded by, the people that she was working with on the Harry Potter movies, I don't think they would have allowed it. Mm. I don't think they would have let that mm. happen to. Yeah. Clearly, fame isn't everything. That seems to be the thing that saves or damns essentially many child stars is yeah. are they surrounded with people who care about them more than the money and the fame? Mm-hmm. And it's do they have people they can trust around them? Yeah. And Bojack, of course, has to be that person for Sarah Lynn and fails at it miserably. Yeah. He absolutely failed to uh, notice when she was uh, beginning to spiral downwards uh, years ago when she first became a pop star yeah. and how alone she was becoming and how it, like there's a heartbreaking moment when he goes to visit her to see if he can get her to guest on his new show so that it can add some cachet to it, maybe possibly get it optioned. And it, she was just looking for a friend and um, he's just offering her a script, and she asks him very calmly to put it over with the other scripts. With the, all look identical, and she says she's a bit too tired to read it right now. Uh, this is going to be hard. Um, yeah. yeah. There's a, l- a couple of times where Sarah Lynn tries to reach out to Bojack as a friend, even as you know early as horsing around, she... You know, he's like, oh, what, you know, she asks about what he's going to do on the weekend. And he kind of describes this very fairy tale like, you know, idyllic situation that would be perfect for a child. And she can't be a part of it because it's like, no, you're not going to hang around with me. You're going to go back to your parents. And her her mom is kind of a typical stage slash film mom that says, look, I didn't go through all this trouble for you to become an architect. I don't care about what you want get on stage and dance the dance like you know yeah. basically another You're version sing of the sing the lollipop, lollipop song yeah. Yeah. yeah but she does try to reach out to him and, and he doesn't I don't think he really sees it at that at that time he doesn't really notice that she needs a better role model until it's too late and what he and Sarah Lynn go through in these uh, final episodes um, is it's played for laughs and it's basically just this massive bender where they, um, they bring in, like Sarah Lynn has apparently been sober for 19 months. Nine months. Nine months, um, which is a huge deal because throughout the previous series she'd been you know, taking all kinds of drugs and getting completely messed up. So she's got a, a, a relatively, albeit isolated and lonely, sober life. And then the moment Bo- Bojack calls her, she rips away the post across the wall and she's got a liquor cabinet in there and starts immediately guzzling down drink and drugs. So, yeah, they go on this massive bender, but they combine it with Bojack trying to sort of half-arsedly make amends to all the people that he's uh, wronged, gate-crashing their houses and causing more chaos and smashing more things up in his pathetic attempt to apologize and, uh, you know, sitting in on uh, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, <laughs> which you then, then have to be called off because everyone gets too bummed out. And like I said, this whole, th- these, this whole scenario is played uh, uh, in a tragic comic way that becomes more tragic as it goes along. 
They even like flag it by like earlier in the season, Sarah Lynn's driving a car while drunk uh, in the in the manner of Lindsay Lohan whilst talking to him on a mobile phone. And I think she's also doing her nails, um, and it's like fuck, she's gonna die. But um, her, her toenails, not not just her nails, but her toenails. Her toenails. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, you know, then like this not being enough. Um, after fucking up the whole uh, Diane and. Uh, Mr. Peanut Butter uh, relationship, or just at least like bewildering them, and they offer them a chance to just sleep it off on the couch, and then harassing um, Princess Carolyn, and then um, like I think I don't know if they reach out to Todd, but they 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 go to try to make amends with Penny, the teenage girl and daughter of um, uh, Charlotte. Charlotte, and yeah. uh, apparently she's sort of gotten over the horrible situation, and he just rips it apart and and uh, traumatizes mm-hmm. her. At her own high she school, she seems to have. She seems to have college. forgotten college. about she's it at that point. College, yeah, course, yeah. yeah um, she's she yeah she's getting on with her life. She's going to college, and then she sees him again. She's like, "What? You know, you can't be here." And I, I was only seventeen. I didn't know what I was doing. Which, of course, Bojack knew that at the mm-hmm. time. And but it's still only been it's been like let it happen a year. But that's a long time Probably for a teenage a year. girl, and a long time for her to be able to heal from it. And he just makes it worse than if he'd just not shown up at all. Not content with you know doing all of this and getting Sarah Lynn truly fucked up after being sober, uh, he uh, pretty much offers her heroin. Heroin named after himself. That yes. was established early in the season, and no less. Knowing she has a ridiculously addictive and compulsive personality, knowing that she uh, will seek you know stronger and uh, sharper highs. Todd at one point. Sort of, uh, he, you know, it says to him, like, look, you are all of the worst things about you. Like, you're all the reasons why you're like this. It kind of accuses him of just, you know, you're, you're the maker of your own destruction. And I don't think that's exemplified any better than when he's going on this thing with Sarah Lynn. He knows that he's not good for her and, and she's not good for him. He knows that they bring out the worst in each other. And to the point where, she is. She actually is nominated for an Oscar in the Oscar running. She's up for best song, yeah, and she wins it. And she is not there to accept her own Oscar. Somebody else has to accept it to her because she's stuck there with him. Yeah. And so he even ruins that moment for her. This should have been the most important thing, mm. the the highest award she could ever win, and and he sets it up so that she misses it. And she's dreaming out loud to him about being an architect, which is what obviously her mother said that she wouldn't be able to be. And, yeah, you know, all that's all she wanted. And <laughs> um, you know, the, she wanted to go to the planetarium, and that's the one thing he does give her that's not fucking destructive. And he, he, he yeah. I think he decides at that point, you know, let's just do one thing that isn't destructive, and hmm. and that isn't all about me. Yeah. <clears throat> it's just something that you also- want. The planetarium was also supposed to be where he returned, where he and Herb were supposed to return and give a high five, and that's supposed to represent success. Is coming back to the planetarium. Yeah. We have succeeded. We have, we have done the thing that we wanted to.
I, I figured it out about three seconds before it actually happened. For some reason, I was so involved in the episode, I didn't have the time to think ahead. And about three seconds beforehand, and I was watching with Debbie and she'll confer, I, was, I just sat there and suddenly I had a sharp intake of breath. And then it dropped. Yeah. And, and they flag wow. it beforehand when they're in the hotel room. She appears to um, pass into yeah. unconsciousness yeah. while they're on heroin, and uh, then he, he taps her awake. And but because Kristen Charles is so funny with her, you know, shrieking over responses, you're still laughing through the tears as they're destroying themselves until this point. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I'm really. I think it was a great uh, choice. A great. Uh, choice that they made to not play the theme song at the end um i think that in tv shows especially when you end on something like that it's occasionally important to just have the silent credits roll to give people an opportunity to actually process it and in this case we also had the sarah lynn sarah lynn sarah just three times in, in, in blackness like it actually cuts to black and he's still calling her name yeah And I think yeah. it's also... I think <laughs> what else again, can you say except yeah. a long sigh? <laughs> I think it also uh, kind of connects back to the point that I was making earlier about um, uh, how sometimes you have to grab onto the fake things. In this case, they're looking at a fake universe full of fake possibilities. But that's all she wanted was to imagine that yeah. maybe those possibilities existed for her when in reality there's just emptiness. And the fake stars that you can't even see in the Los Angeles sky because there's Too much smog. so much light pollution and smog, yeah. you, you can't even see it. But once you're kind of in that space, you can finally see it all for what it is. It's kind of that deeper meaning maybe that they're looking for. Just, uh-huh. just a little bit of hope. Just that, that tiny, tiny, just sl- slightest sliver of hope. <laughs> She's the little match girl at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Huh, um, the final episode of uh, season three uh, is somehow even more devastating for me. Yeah. Um, it. Um, I'm sorry. One more thing that just occurred to me as we were talking. Um, she was. Wasn't she the one who said um, at Herb's funeral that the next time all of them would be in a room together would be in another one of their funerals? And everyone yeah. looks at Bojack. Yes. Everyone looks at Bojack. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. ends up being her. Um, uh, I can't even remember what actually happens in the uh, the last episode. I've seen it twice. The most recent time being yesterday, because it's all about the last moment for me. Uh, it's the reeling after Sarah Lynn's death and the funeral and the empty house that Bojack's uh, gone back to and the these various characters that have moved on with their lives um, without him and the sense of absolute destruction in his wake that he's now completely and utterly left unavoidably with. <sighs> Diane, I think, is the only one that really comes back to console him. Yeah. If I'm remembering correctly, like, she actually checks in on him and says, and this is where she says, you know, you you did make a difference to some people through this show. Maybe it wasn't, you know, what you would consider your best work, and maybe it wasn't what you initially wanted, but you did touch people's lives. And, you know, that's kind of, again, that, just a tiny little sliver of, of hope at the end that, mm. yes, what you did did make a difference to, to at least some people. 
This, uh, what follows, is kind of a callback to the end of season two where he's driving away from New Mexico on the boat, just sitting out on a deck chair, being driven along by the currents while the world changes around him and just he's sitting there completely stationary, being moved forward by the world. He's driving in his brand new, um, recovered from the swimming pool, uh, Tesla. Goes into cruise control and starts uh, speeding up and... This is his moment of relinquishing control. This is his moment of just deciding um, that he's just going to let the universe take him because he can't move forward on his own steam anymore. I thought this was it because it made such perfect sense for it to end here uh, with nothing left. And the fact that it's not and the fact that he pulls over in utter grief with this wonderful... Nina Simone song playing in the background. And then again, it's this, this callback to the end of season one when uh, he, he turns to uh, the uh, desert that he's driving through and sees wild horses. And this is a... I'm not even sure if I'm interpreting this correctly. Is uh, part of the reason that, mm-hmm, that Bojack is... Well, identifies with Secretariat as, as a runner... He's accessing the most primal aspect of a horse, which is to be able to run free. Mm. Yeah, and then he encounters an entire, you know, herd of them or pack of them that are just running wild in the desert with no, um, you know, they look very, <laughs> they look very unkempt and very almost Aboriginal. They're just completely wild. They have not been touched by society, and he just kind of stands there in awe of them, like that is almost an ideal of of what he would want just to be completely free and untethered by all these things that are hold that he feels are holding him down and it's a really powerful image yeah I, yeah and the build-up to it is is set up very well too because he's just kind of uh, run away again um when one of his co-stars comes back ethan around is that what they been calling it is almost like the fuller house yeah. um yeah. reboot where he's like oh yeah let's let's get the gang back and and try to try to do this again and he seems to be giving ethan some good advice and he is t- you know coaching yeah. him a little bit and his delivery and his comedy timing and mm-hmm. he sits down with one of the little girl uh colleagues one of his co-stars and she says well i want i want to be like you when i grow up i want to be famous like, not even an actor. She just wants to be famous. And yeah. that kind of, uh, you know, starts this whole crisis for him. And he... I can't do this again. Yep, he freaks out. And, uh, and again, kind of... Like, you, you understand it, but again, it's, uh, 
that selfishness that he has of like, come on, man, like for once, make it not about you. You're trying to do this for your friend and everybody's counting on you. You're doing, yeah, yeah. you're doing a a live taping of a show. Yeah. And you just completely, um, you know, bailed on him, completely flaked out on him and left in the middle of taping an episode of this show. Like they can't go on without you. You've completely screwed everybody. But then in his mind, because, he's completely screwed everyone already anyway. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's that's part of it, that um, the the actions that seem so, so selfish and self-focused, a lot of the time they come from a place of such utter self-loathing and feeling that, that he's already... Oh. I mean, he's hit his rock bottom now. He already feels he's done the worst he could possibly do. Absolutely. Um, so that which is why you know that and that a, a minor thing to him. Yeah, but that that kind of softens the blow too because it humanizes him. Yeah, we totally understand why he does this. Yeah. We understand why he doesn't want the same thing to happen to this girl that happened to Sarah Lynn yeah. or to um, Penny or any of the other young women in his life. Yeah, everybody that he comes in contact with, he feels that he ruins them. Mm-hmm. And this is just one more person, one more innocent person that deserves better than to have BoJack Horseman in their lives. Yeah. Okay, so season four after this. Piece of shit. Stupid piece of shit. You're a real stupid piece of shit. But I know I'm a piece of shit. That at least makes me better than all the pieces of shit who don't know they're pieces of shit. Or is it worse? Breakfast. Oh, I don't deserve breakfast. Shut up. Don't feel sorry for yourself. What does that do? Get breakfast, you stupid fat ass. <sighs> These are cookies. This is not breakfast. You are eating cookies. Stop it. Stop eating cookies and go make yourself breakfast. Stop it. Don't eat one more cookie. Put that cookie down. Do not eat that cookie. I can't believe you ate that cookie. Hey, Bojack, we need milk. For the baby. For the what? Where is the baby? I just saw Can him. I borrow your car? What baby? I don't know. Tina's going to make breakfast. She needs milk. Can I take the car or what? Shit. I don't want her driving my car, getting her grubby hands all over everything. She's not grubby. She's your daughter, you piece of garbage. You're a piece of garbage. A real shitty piece of garbage. Uh... Okay, think, idiot. If she takes the car, then you're trapped here with mom and her spooky, lazy eyes. But if you get the milk and leave Hollyhock here with mom, then she could tell her things about you. Poison your own daughter against you. Is that what you want? Okay, how about, um, hold on. Oh, shit, they're all looking at you. Say something, dum-dum. Open your idiot, dumbass mouth. I will get milk. Milk, 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 milk. What are they talking about right now? Probably you and what a dumb piece of trash you are, you fat sack of idiot. Why don't you do the world a favor and swerve into oncoming traffic? No, you don't deserve to die young. Only the greats die young. Oh, now you think you're young all of a sudden. One drink. Okay, so season four. The Hollyhock season. Mm-hmm. It would have been so easy to make her uh, the estranged daughter that he. Like, basically, they even set up the whole. You know, you had me uh, with this. Uh, you know, some woman a long time ago, and you know, I'm now turning up out of the blue, and they like immediately lay down the. No, 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 it's fine. She has eight dads. That's not what she's looking for, and it's that almost throws Bojack. Like he was. No, that does blow Bojack. He was gearing up to go, I'm not a father, and then eventually sort of come around to the idea that he's a father, and that would be the arc for this season. And he's so ready for that that, like, he's still leaning into it while they're going around doing it, and she keeps having to remind him, I don't need a dad. Mm. But this is what I think is so fantastic about this, the way this arc plays out. It's not just horsing around. It's not just this young 
bachelor about town who suddenly gets stuck with these kids that really need mm-hmm. a father and eventually learns how to be a father. Bojack has had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be a father and he has fucked up mm. and it's it's not something that he is ready for it's not something that he is capable of and actually his arc in this is accepting that and instead looking at what he can do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what he can provide season four is my favorite season thus mm. far and and i understand like i know there were some people that had a little bit of a problem with the the narrative not being quite as connected as it has been in, in seasons one through three. And while I think that's a perfectly fair criticism, it didn't bother me. And after everything that happened before, after all the stuff from, from how devastating season three was, I was perfectly happy to go into season four with Bojack kind of being on his own and sort of doing his own thing and not, um, not having as much interaction with the the other characters and they kind of had their own things going on as well. Um, And them balancing it out with, you know, the, the supporting cast being in the more silly and over the top and comedic things to balance out how, how dark things get in this show. Um, Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to put that out there just as a, (laughs) just in, in general. One thing I particularly like about this season is that they are upfront about a lot of things. If they say it, then they do it. The very first thing we hear in the season is, so what, you want to do the horse show without the horse? It's like Turtle Top again. And mm-hmm. then they do an entire episode without Bojack in it. Yeah. It's, it's, it, of course, they were referring to Mr. Peanut Butter's house, but they do the whole episode, mm. the horse show without the horse. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but in a way, that's, that's one of the things about this season that I, I really liked because it's, it, progressive uh, progressive in the sense sorry progressive in the sense progressive in many ways it is it is Uh progressing it's not just repeating what they've done before um part of of the arc of this is the underlying implication that bojack is not making entirely everything about him we're getting to see what's going on with other characters um, mm-hmm. Other significant things are happening in the town that are, that are not linked in with him. He doesn't get the opportunity to turn it all back to him before the end of every episode. Yeah, time um, is a huge thing in this in this season. The even just the concept of time, but all of all of the events that have led to the present and how the past connects to your present and can you know carry on to your future. That's a that's a big overarching thing for this for this season which i I, we'll we'll get more into that later i'm sure but i love how they they set it up and it's kind of nice to see a little bit of the the backstory of mr peanut butter's house it's it's nice to have a a little bit of background of how that all started before we saw the season uh i uh made two predictions um to share one is uh that when we go back to season one, it's going to be like super manic and trying so hard to be funny and actually will be a little bit grating and uh, it'll take a while to settle itself down to being standard, like classic Bojack. And that was absolutely right. When we went back and I I started watching the whole thing with uh, Lyra, uh, trying to shield her from the really terrible bits, um, which is tough. I mean, the one about the whole like... um, Choky wank wank uh, episode. I was like, oh god, spin on next, 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 next scene, next scene. <laughs> I couldn't get to that. I was, was like, it was weird how much of that was about that specific thing. Diving across the, <laughs> the screen. The other thing was, I said, okay, Sharon, Beatrice. 
horseman is probably going to die in this season and I don't know how they're going to do it but they're going to make us feel sorry for her um, oh my god I don't know how I feel about her we'll, we'll get there yeah we'll get there at the end of this uh, this episode but um, let, let's let's talk about the fact that this is some of the first truly prime time post Trump comedy um, insofar as like rather than it being SNL or uh, it being um, last week tonight or something that comes goes out weekly, something that they have had time to like put together and directly respond to the fuss that was 2016, the fucking nightmare. But the Mr. Peanut Butter versus Woodchuck could chuck election oh, fuss was a <laughs> very incisive little uh, model of that. But his hands, guys. But. It doesn't matter how qualified. Our thoughts and prayers go out to all of the victims. Yes, thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. prayers. Let's not actually do anything about it. Thoughts and prayers. And everyone says that reflexively. Like it's it's not it's it's so acidic. I couldn't laugh. I was just sitting there going, ah, I see what they've done. Mm. Like this hurts. This is hurt laughing. Do you know what it, it made kind me think of, is, of yeah. especially, when, especially when Princess Carolyn did it. No, it made me think of Maud in um, The Big Lebowski. The Little Lebowski oh. Overachievers and yes, the Proud We Are, are of All of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is, this is so clearly a chant she's done so many times, it's lost all meaning. Or it's like crossing yourself, oh. just to make absolutely mm. sure that that's yeah, all done. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, they throw it out so casually, as they're so cavalier about it, that it just mm. loses any and all meaning. <laughs> and it was a really like well played with the fact that they could have just they could have created a character to be an analog for Trump who you just like was just an avatar of hate but you can't actually get better than the real life version he's a fucking cartoon character as it is so it's actually really smart putting like that those properties into a character you already like yeah and and going yeah this is the dangerously unqualified person who really shouldn't be given power and you know i i hope he fails but only for everyone else's sake mm. well i it did come across a little bit like what they were trying to say there and again this echoes that idea that they don't necessarily put a moral uh, line on anything they just observe and you take away from it what it connects with you um but what that kind of said to me was this idea that it it doesn't matter really whether you like this dangerously unqualified celebrity's ideas or whether you think they're a likable person or whether you um you find them objectionable or or whatever all of that is kind of fuzz around the edges the point is dangerously unqualified yeah For the point around is the that, edges. That, yeah. Uh, that, that people are fine with now apparently and i really hope they're no longer fine with because we've got the consequences uh, or at least this was a model of a popularity contest election where it was like okay yes yes you're super qualified but this guy's entertaining and he's fine with just changing everything he's going to smash the system up the system is boring and we don't like boring politics we like interesting politics this guy's interesting let's go with this guy oh no we let a fucking toddler drive the titanic look what's (laughs) happening (laughs) mr peanut butter is just so likable he's just Mm. so he's such a lovable guy and it's he's better at connecting with people Mm. it's 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 terrible that that's a lot of times what it comes down to. Like, who is better at actually winning people over? 
Mm. Yeah, the, but the likability quality often comes in when somebody doesn't take strong positions on something that they don't have their own particular oh, feeling yeah. about it. Was it was on the fracking. So they yeah, they so just they, say they what just, they expect everyone else wants them well, to say. That's the thing. The, the fact that Mr. Peanut Butter is such a likable guy means that he manages to negotiate that without nailing his colours to the mast at any particular point. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and then eventually he just goes with what they suggest he ought to go with. And that was painful. <laughs> it's it's frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating to watch. Mm. Yeah. As is the uh, episode where uh, the gun control thing. Um, this was the one that relates back to uh, uh, mm. Diane speaking out on uh, against uh, sexual harassment. The conclusion they reach at the end. Oh. Seems like Americans love guns, but they just hate women that little bit more. That is haunting. Yeah, I, it, like, is. I was playing, it is. I, and I, I was just playing kept Tomb thinking, Raider like, the other day, and I was like, these these guys were closing in and going, get her! And I'm going, oh, God, Christ. Just mm-hmm. like, I'm Lara Croft trying to fend off all of these super aggressive motherfuckers who just need to kill me. And, and you, know, uh, you know it would play out like that. Mm-hmm. No, it, it would. Well, that would happen. It already, in a way, it already has. The it reason has why happened. California sure. gun control laws are the way they are is because Ronald Reagan saw black people were getting guns, and suddenly there was a desire for gun control <sighs> in the state, and that's lasted till today. Yeah, this is a. This I'm, is I'm a sorry. There's nothing more to that. That's just what it is. <laughs> no, no, it's that's true, fine. It's just chilling. <laughs> it is chilling, and also like this is a God. This is such a challenging uh, episode for me because like when it comes to the the you know gun ownership and everything, it's like Diane is right. It is an equalizer. It is empowering. Like I go to the range and I shoot guns on a regular basis. Like it's part of my job to know how to use a gun. Mm. Honestly, um, <laughs> I have to know these things, but I am all for responsible gun ownership. And so often that is the thing that is left out of the debate. It's the thing that's left out. It's we're not talking about having stricter like background screenings and mental health screenings and all of these other things that can, tr- can contribute to somebody dangerous being in possession of a deadly weapon. Bad news. Do you hear about the mass shooting outside Tulsa? Oh, terrible tragedy. Thoughts and prayers. We really have to do something about these men who just... No, PC, this time it was a woman. A woman mass shooter? Oh, no. That really is bad news. I just think this is what happens when you give women guns. They start shooting people with them. I mean, do they even know what guns are for? I don't feel safe anymore walking down my own street alone at night. Me, a man. I am convening a series of congressional hearings on the matter of women and guns, because even one death from the bullet of a female gun owner is too many. What are my constituents supposed to do? Not compliment random women on the street because they might be carrying a gun? We cannot allow our lives to be dictated by that kind of fear. So you see, the trigger was specifically designed for a man's grip and a man's temperament. Uh, This is the season where Princess Carolyn uh, uh, tries to make it work with Ralph. Honestly, the way this ends up is fucking heartbreaking because yeah. Ralph is steady he is a good guy and that was working and it feels like um there's almost a bit of bojack in there with the self sabotage going off with princess carolyn there yeah. because I, I i get the anxiety over the uh, that the family who hates cats the whole section about um princess carolyn and the whole wanting to desperately wanting to start a family 
and not being able to yeah was incredibly well put across i thought the the it's it's a really tough subject to address um the idea that she's not just the fact that she miscarries but the fact that she then points out that she's miscarried many times mm-hmm. and didn't want to say anything and just just that the the kind of it, it's not really unspoken because she does talk about it but the idea that princess caroline is such a success driven person she's such an achiever and the idea that this one thing that should be so easy that women around the world manage to do by accident on a regular basis and she with all of her efforts and strength and determination and intelligence can't do it yeah she she blames mm-hmm. herself so obviously and it breaks my heart when she's saying I can do this Mm. it's not something that you can will yourself into exactly sometimes there are physiological reasons why or you know sometimes they're related to age but you know it can happen at any time um if and and just as a as a suggestion because we're we're talking about this particular subject and this this feeling of like that desperation to have a child naturally or basically going to any means necessary to have your own child. Um, season two of Top of the Lake, which is on Hulu right now, deals with this very issue in a lot of detail. Mm. It's a very well shot show. So if people if that's something that is interesting to people, that's something that they deal with quite a lot on that season of, of Top of the Lake. And it's it's heartbreaking, too, that um, Ralph even says, yeah. We can try other options. He puts out that there are other options available. And if this is not working, we can look into adoption. We can look into in vitro fertilization. You know, like there are other things you can do. There are other avenues you can take. And she's so like, at one point I'm sitting there going, why is she being so stubborn about this? Mm -hmm. Like, honestly. Because a manager produces. (laughs) Oh, God, seriously. Um, there's a lot of nice little uh, touches in this in this episode too. Like even beyond that, like there's a there's a cool like they have like these little cutout animation segments with the cats that I thought was really nice. It was a it was a different um, animation yeah. style than I think they've used before. There's also a nice little um, a nice little metaphor with her necklace as well. Mm-hmm. Without beating you over the head with it, this is that necklace is kind of representative of her her life and her job in Hollywood. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's just a gold plated piece of costume jewelry. Everything is on the surface. Um, and again, without being so ham fisted about it, it's a nice little metaphor for kind of her existence and, and Hollywood and Hollywood in general. <laughs> More than that, that's also the, the American dream, that sort of the, the idolizing of they came over from the old country and these, you know, things mm-hmm. were wonderful back in the old days in America. Now it's all gone to hell. And it's like if you just wipe a little at the sheen of the olden days, it will come straight off. Mm. Yep. And also the, the uh, parallel there between what's going on with her looking at her, her ancestors and her, her family and what they've passed down to her. Meanwhile, you're also looking at what Bojack's family have passed down to him. Mm. Oh, um, big time. And, yeah, and the, the idea that these these ideas and values and traditions that come from your 
mother and your mother's mother and your mother's mother's mother at some point somebody's got to look at it and say why the hell am i cutting both ends off the piece of pork before i put yeah. it in the damn tin thank you for that uh, little exactly story. this also is where uh, diane and mr peanut butter's uh, relationship comes to a head again in a way that feels like this is what should have been said back in season two before diana ran away uh, and went to war-torn scrivovia and cordovia, cordovia. it's it's when um, he, he makes the Beauty and the Beast bell room for yeah. her. This scene reminded me of, at one point in a, a later season episode of The Simpsons, which is obviously not great Simpsons, but it was still a good point that was made. Uh, Homer tried to, like, you know, give Lisa a present, which is like a personalized video of herself, but it's like a, a, like a cheap version, like, like a real, like, minimal thought's been put in. Well, this could be fun. Let's watch it. Howdy, partners. My name is Sheriff... Lisa Simpson. I sure am hungry for my favorite food. McNuggets. I don't like McNuggets. I'm a vegetarian. Do? Then you're not going to like your other present. Why, it's my best friend... Maggie! Huh? Bad news, Sheriff. Lisa Simpson. Some Indians took all the... McNuggets. Mmm, McNuggets. I'll get those no-good Indians, just as sure as my favorite book is... Magazines! Wake up, Dad! <laughs> what? Mr. Peanut Butter, like, the, the whole bell room... Do you know how much uh, effort it took to find 5,000 fake books? Yeah, like, mm-hmm. probably a bit less effort than finding 5,000 real books real from ones? one of those many, many old-ass bookshops that are going out of business because no one wants to buy books anymore. Mm-hmm. Or, do you know what people who love books really, really, really like? Yeah. Empty shelves. Bingo. That they can fill with their own exactly. choice of books. You put a couple of her absolute favourite books on one shelf and go, this is yours to fill. But he's had, like... Faces drawn on the chairs <laughs> yeah. in, bar- in marker to make them look like like uh, characters from this movie. He clearly doesn't remember, although there is a Cogsworth in the back. Yeah, I was about to say I saw the Cogsworth clock mm. in the back. But yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's a slice again of the the same party where he's doing this this great big gesture. You know, sometimes I feel like our marriage is like a magic eye poster. I love those things. I know, and it's messy. And at first glance, it doesn't seem to make any sense. And it's hard to figure out. But sometimes, if you squint at it just right, everything lines up. And it's the most perfect, beautiful, amazing thing. Yeah, I know what you mean. But I'm so tired of squinting. (laughs) Uh. And the fact that Alison Brie's voice breaks at that point, it's such a magnificent performance. Oh, absolutely. It's a very real moment. Yeah. Mm. And the thing is that, quite frankly, I'm going to have to disagree with you on one point, though. Um, I don't really think that this is Mr. Peanut Butter doing another party. I think that he is genuinely trying to give her something that she wants, and there's no way that he... There's no way that he can know that what she wants is the fantasy. Yeah, that's I was, true. I actually. was a bit more on wow. Mr. Peanut, but I'm I'm agreeing yeah. with you here. Like I was a bit more on Mr. Peanut Butter's side with this one. Like, man, come on, he really did try. He knew this was something that was important to you. He put this effort forward to 
you know, he tried to, to give you something that he thought you wanted yeah. and it had nothing to do with him at all. Yeah. That's fascinating because that was the first place I went to. As soon as she set foot through the door, the first thing that popped into my head was she didn't want this. She want, it's, it's in her head. That's where she loves it. And at the yeah. same time, the counter to that is like, I, I also totally understand Mr. Peanut Butter saying like, I'm, I, we're supposed to be a married couple and I'm tired of you feeling like a guest in my house. Mm. I want yeah. you to have something that is yours, that is here permanently because I'm afraid of you running away again. Um, mm. Kind of in a similar way that um, uh, Princess Caroline keeps her apartment um, when she's supposed to be living with, um, with Ralph. She still has this, this other place that she can go back to. And it's like, why do, you, why do you still have that? Why are you still, why do you still have this like escape route for yourself? Mm. Yeah. It's interesting, though, that Diane doesn't have somewhere else to go. She has Bojack's house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and at, at a push, she has her parents um, or her mum's now. Um, but um, but she doesn't have that bolt hole. And I think, honestly, and, and I, I, I totally get it. Yeah, I think I do think that he was genuinely trying to do something really nice for her. I think if you're going to make a gesture that big, you need to discuss it with the person first um, yeah. because the surprise is a lovely idea but ultimately if you're going to be offended if they don't like it then you mm. need to make sure in advance that this is what they want side note in Beauty um, and the Beast the library was already there all yeah. he did was let her in and go <laughs> yeah. you know, this is yours now this part okay. of your prison is now officially finger quotes yours <laughs> I felt his grip tighten as we passed the library are you much of a reader oh most certainly as we pushed in through the door to take in the side of the row after row of cherrywood shelves crammed to capacity with leather-bound books and interspersed with comfortable chairs, James let out a slow breath. You like it that much? It's yours. No, I'm kidding. I don't have the authority to give whole rooms away. That was an excerpt from my book, Steamheart. But, but I mean, I think just, and, and this is, you know, advice moment. Um, I think if, if he was going to do it in a way that really would have appealed to her, um, give her an empty room and say to her, this is your room. You make it what you want it to be. And that, if he really wants her to have a space in his home, that to me would be the way to do that. Give, give her something that she can make and, and um, connect with. Uh, in the way that she chooses. That said, a big part of the difficulty with their relationship is the fact that she feels like a um, uh, a separate entity. Um, and there there is that division between them. She does, she said on several occasions that she has this need to be, you know, going off and doing her own thing and, and not feel like she's attached and tied down. And, um, and it just, every time she does, I know we've talked about her, about how dog-like Mr. Peanut Butter is and how his, um, his personality is, is so epitomized by the animal that he is, which is, it's not the case with everybody. No. It does come up of, uh, with a few characters, but it's not, for, with everyone, but it very much is with Mr. Peanut Butter. He does have that thing that you can't leave a dog alone for too long in a house by themselves. The They'll chew alone. the furniture. Yeah. <laughs> and he would too. Well, no, he says that in, in season two that the one thing he does all day is sit on the oh, yeah. couch waiting for and her to come home. And as soon as she her. does, mm-hmm. yeah. it's the most exciting moment of his day. And that's when he's purely a dog. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And Diane is so obviously not a dog person. Hmm. No, but this is this has not been a relationship that's been working. For, like since like we really started examining it in the beginning of say, say season two, like it was only sort of working when we weren't examining it in season one. Mm. But there's not enough impetus for Diane to just call it off, and it would have to be her mm. because he would. Yeah. He oh would, yeah, he, he never would. would. He's too happy to have her around. Yeah, he'd be like, well, why would I make myself less happy? Mm. Yeah, and he's already gone through two failed marriages. You know, yeah. it would be it would be devastating for him to say. Uh, yet another one. What's that, that Jessica? Like my second yeah. and final wife. <laughs> mm -hmm. oh. Oh. Ah, there you are. Did you read the book of poetry? No, I forgot to. Excellent. I'm sorry. Excellent. My assignment was a test. Skiing isn't about reading old books. It's about speaking truth to power. Oh. And you have spoken it eloquently. You are my finest student. I love you. <laughs> Are you okay, Professor? Just a cough. I'm sure it's nothing. You can come by tomorrow for your diploma. <laughs> I do like watching it, re-watching it, and looking at all the background stuff this time. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. <laughs> that, I, I said to Alex today, this um, does what Futurama does, um, which is that the, the creators are paying so much attention to what they're doing that they can put all this effort into background stuff that you can go back to after the fact, um, which just gives it extra dimensions hmm. yeah oh my two favorite background jokes this season uh one is in ruthie where they're waiting in line and in the background you see a cheetah and a zebra getting married when they start waiting in line mm -hmm. and then when it comes back to them after they've waited in line so long the cheetah and the zebra are at the divorce window and the zebra's <laughs> got an arm and a sling and his neck in a brace because nice. you know he married a cheetah. Well, um, yeah. the other one is <laughs> cheater. Um, yeah. uh, and the other one is God's prison tattoos. He's altered them. Uh -huh. The Latin Kings one, he uh, just crossed out the tin, so it just says L.A. Kings, the uh, nice. Hawks team. Oh, yeah. And nice. the skinheads one has become the skinny jugheads. Uh, <laughs> I really like that because, of course, Jughead is another asexual with distinctive he headgear. Of course, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know that uh, you drew, you mentioned Jughead uh, when we did it before. Mm, yeah. yeah. The the one that caught my eye this time was in the episode where he um, meets Jill Pill in the Jill um, Pill uh, in the diner. On the notice board behind her, there is a Hamilton poster, and Hamilton is a pig. Nice. Yes. Oh, that's it's clever. a tiny thing, but I didn't really know what Hamilton was when I saw it before. <laughs> also, Lyra's been watching out for that booty-shaking goldfish. She's like, you know, she's she's seen it, and now like, it, she, at one point she said, "There's a goldfish in it shaking its booty." And I went, "No, not all goldfish shake their booty. That's racist." And yeah. she got really cross with me. Ooh. <laughs> oh, another one that I thought was kind of cool is that all of the uh, religious imagery are fish. Oh, of course, oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, one joke, if if you caught that, the the frog trying to cross trying to cross the road. Oh yeah, the the frogger thing. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Definitely yeah. caught that one. And and the the nice uh, change to the intro too. While we're talking about background things, when mm. when this season starts, the house is completely empty, just like we left it kind of in, at the end of season three. And then mm. instead of playing out some kind of some event that is happening in Bojack's life. It's just this kaleidoscope of yeah. all of the people, everyone that he's, you know, that is in his life. And it's just 
all these folks that he have, he's left behind, and, and they just form this big kaleidoscope around him and behind him. Herb and the kids from Horsin' Around mm-hmm. show up all in one image on the kaleidoscope. They're all together. That is clearly the family that he's recalling. It's, yes. it's almost like he had a family, then he lost the family, and he's just he's been in mourning <laughs> ever since, but he hasn't recognized that fact. Mm-hmm. But like, if you if you go back to the um, uh, you know, when Beatrice uh, mentions you know uh, that his show and, and whether it's still going or not, it's like well it ended eleven years ago and he's t- like was, was that two thousand seven when uh, in in the flashback yes. was it oh, nineteen no, 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 more recent than that yeah it's uh, the scene takes place in ninety either nineteen ninety nine or two thousand and he says the show ended three years ago yeah it's that's mm. uh, that's when Beatrice is breaking up with Butterscotch mm. yeah Jesus mm-hmm. like. So when she was Butterscotch stormed off in the early flashback at the beginning of season two, when uh, Beatrice uh, said, "I'm just going to go and lose your father's heart medication," and Bojack was a little kid watching Secretariat. They were still together for year after year after year after year after poisonous year. Yeah, it's just it, oh. it, I guess it's it's just kind of the you know he kept walking out but also kept coming back. Coming back, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Beatrice kept letting him in. Yeah. Mhm. Um, because for whatever reason she doesn't believe in divorce. We can talk Beatrice now. Um I Woof. I I think up until the point where it was the, what I can only really call the dementia episode. I was going, she's faking. She knows that that's Bojack. This is Henrietta bullshit. Yeah. And um, then she says Bojack at the end of the, like, the third to last episode in the season. Um, I, I said, yes, I knew it. I knew it. That was, um, that's, that's proof that she has known it was Bojack all along. And then that, that second to last one just gut punched me. Mm-hmm. It's a compassionate, hard portrayal of the direct suffering of dementia the the idea of these i think that the way i quoted it to sharon was that if your whole life has been one of those old-fashioned ice cube trays where the separators actually lift out mm-hmm. um then if you like wrench the separator out and then leave the ice cubes out in the tray in the sun all of those ice cubes will slowly start to bleed into each other until you just have watery mess with little floating tiny icebergs in it until all you've got left is water and the like this interchangeable state of time where people become representations of other people it it slayed me and it was exactly the right way to portray that with a character that you've just been making assumptions about the whole way through and for you, for you then to just be told, no, this is ex- this is how Beatrice now sees the world, and it wouldn't have been the beginning in season one of BoJack, but it fucking is now. In the very second episode of this, where um, BoJack goes back to the the lake house, and mm-hmm. he's just kind of just kind of squatting there for um, for the, the you know place. for the very first parts of it, the old Sugarman uh, summer house. Uh, one of the things that this is kind of going to all of the the flashbacks and all the things that used to you know go on in this house it shows beatrice as a child and and her family life there um one of the things that this sets up right away is this concept that time's arrow neither stands still nor reverses it merely marches forward i wrote that in big bold letters at the 
at the top of my notes. And it's probably the most important thing that is said in the entire season, because by the end of the season, for Beatrice, none of those things are true. Time doesn't stand still, it doesn't reverse, it doesn't march forward. It exists all at the same time. For her, everything from her past and her present happens simultaneously to where mm-hmm. she cannot even and and this even goes to like when she's um at the very start of uh of of the episode Time's Arrow it starts in the car for her she sees herself as in her prime has a glimpse of herself in the side and the uh, rear view mirror of the car sees that she's you know how she actually is which is elderly and kind of uh you know has that kind of revulsed um uh, a glimpse of herself in her present and then when she steps out of the car she's a child so all of this stuff is happening all at the same time for her and it's an absolutely terrifying concept to think that she exists in a in a realm where there is no separation between past and present it's all happening at once My grandmother actually uh, had dementia toward the end of her life. Um, and one thing that got my mother who cared for her was that my grandmother was never particularly kind to my mother. She just wasn't. But she was kind to my mother when she didn't recognize who she was. She would refer to my mom as, this is the lady who takes care of me. She was very nice to her. Um... And from my in my mom's place, she had trouble dealing with that because that also is not her mother. Mm. Uh, one time, she, my mother, just desperately wanted some sign that her mother was there, and she was just sitting there on, by the side of my grandmother's bed, just wishing for it and wishing for it. And then suddenly, my grandmother's eyes cleared up for a second, and she looks over at my mother and she says to her, "You're lazy." In Italian. And my mother started laughing because she's like, yeah, that's my mom. She is in there someplace. But that's yeah. the kind of thing that dementia does to a person. Um, and I think that the show really kind of hit on so many of those things that, you know, Henrietta is more important to remember than Bojack for Beatrice. Because Henrietta both has more and less emotional resonance. And it's it's kind of funny that um, at one point um, Bojack and Hollyhock go to visit her at this uh, hospice that she's staying at, and it's a it's a really big deal that when Beatrice is watching Bojack on television when she's watching this little DVD of horsing around, that's where she recognizes him. She recognizes mm-hmm. him from television, and even though we have heard for you know from seasons one through three of how much she hated horsing around, she thought it was childish. She thought it was uh, pedestrian, and well, it's, well, it's not, not Ibsen. Ibsen, you know, very very famously, yeah, it's not Ibsen when she's watching. No, because it as that's a... another playwright. <laughs> <laughs> but when she's watching it, uh, you know, in the in this elderly care home, and and sees it again as an older person she says well you know it's uh it's it's nice that this show is is a comfort to her she's like oh well it's just nice to have on this show it can be it's not you know it's not the best writing but it is a bit of a comfort um 
that's a huge, huge thing for her to to admit about a show that that we've been told she she thought was just trash, basically, for all of Bojack's career. Mm-hmm. I think uh, one of the things I've, I kind of came to quite a painful realization about Beatrice is how much she um, has a, a very complex relationship with emotion generally and how much she has foisted that onto Bojack. Definitely. Um, he, he. One of the things I said today was that he's... His his experiences of emotion is that it's basically been weaponized against him and his own expressions of emotion have been slammed down on he's been told not to cry he's been told when to laugh he's been told um how to behave and how to react constantly to the point where it basically becomes easier not to feel anything at all um with beatrice it's it's almost as though i mean she has all of those things too but she had to learn it in an even harder way because she didn't have somebody and I'm not I'm not by the way saying that this is better but she didn't necessarily have somebody um constantly uh punishing her for feeling things what she had to witness was her mother being constantly punished for feeling things mm-hmm. the, oh, man. the the scene or the the episode where um her mother basically loses her child and has a completely understandable totally natural reaction to this and instead of being allowed to process any of that has parts of her brain poked out yeah Mm -hmm. and it's only because um it's only because her husband joseph sugarman doesn't know how to deal with um with his uh you know with the emotional fallout from their son's death he doesn't know what to do with this woman who is so painfully obviously grieving and isn't getting the proper help that she needs so like his response is to just well if she can't stop crying and she can't stop um you know being hysterical as as they say um then the obviously the solution is to just cut off her emotions entirely and it's he like he comes across like a like a psychopath, like a sociopath, yeah. because it, it's like he has no understanding of people or feelings or any of that, and his response to things is so it, it's so diabolical almost. Mm-hmm. Well, he can't he can't relate to his own grief. I mean, you're not mm-hmm. telling me that a father losing his son at war is not a a huge emotional blow and he never seems to respond to it in any significant way at all exactly um and and so it it doesn't seem surprising that in his uh his attempts to repress that which obviously we don't see it from his perspective so we don't really get to see what he goes through and that's that's another thing that I, i love about the way this show is put together that you see the way people to the way people behave in certain situations um, and and it, the way they're behaving and the things that they're doing vary from ill-advised to reprehensible. And mm-hmm. then you get to find out more about them and you, you 
get to see where that comes from. Not necessarily that it excuses it, but that it just it gives you that person's frame of reference. It gives you that person's uh, perspective and it makes it that bit more understandable because that's how life works. You meet somebody, you see how they behave. You don't necessarily get to see behind the curtain until later on. Um, but the the idea that this again this repeating pattern through families of um, Beatrice's father has her mother uh, like has her emotions physically cut off. Mm-hmm. Beatrice then does that to herself. Mm-hmm. She then does that to oh, Bojack. Of and course. on some level, she believes she's protecting him by doing that. Of course, because she's seen the alternative. She's seen what happened to her mom because when she was overcome with emotion and, and had this outpouring, look what happened to her. And she, yeah. I think she's terrified of that happening to her. Like, you know, and Josephine says that you don't, you don't want to end up like your mother, do you? And this, oh my God. Oh, okay, yeah. so huh. time Can we agree that this place. is Matthew Broderick's most terrifying role? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. It's his soft, like almost encouraging voice, which we like. It's Simba, you know, and and yet (laughs) he's even more twisted than he is in election. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, like I said, uh, he comes across like just a complete sociopath because uh, and and all of of the episode Times Arrow plays out like a horror film, like Mm -hmm. one of the things I wrote down immediately, like uh, pretty much right at the at the off was what nightmare is this because oh my god it it and it starts right away with like people's faces are scribbled out or they're blank entirely um hmm. there are some at the, characters at the party, are not, everyone in the background yeah. just like they may as well not be there a yeah. sea yeah. of yeah. blank faces um at this point in the in the series or i'm sorry in the in the season instead of seeing um honey sugarman uh, beatrice's mother She's just reduced to a silhouette. She's just a shadow shadow of what she was before. And Mm -hmm. occasionally she has this glowing white scar right on her forehead where this operation took place. So that when Joseph Sugarman says in front of a wall of flames, you don't want to end up like your mother, do you? She emerges from the flames as a, a silhouette with this glowing white scar and like this muffled screaming this muffled, like, shrieking sound behind mm-hmm. her, which is so haunting and so horrifying. So, of course, for a little, you know, however old Beatrice <clears throat> is at this point, this is absolute terror. And she cannot allow this to happen to her or anybody else in her family because that's what's going to end up happening. These are the consequences. Her mother being just the shadow and the muffled almost inaudible scream that's what you get and end up being reduced to and she can't have that and she was anyway though with the dementia she functionally was lobotomized yeah that's the kind of irony of it i have half a mind yeah i have half a mind Old Sugarman Place might be one of my favorite episodes uh, just because i loved watching it's beautiful yeah watching the way it was constructed you're right beautiful uh watching both of these thing these time periods happening at the same time now that you mentioned that beatrice basically experiences time mm. all at the same time that's a wonderful foreshadowing as well it is things overlap with each other um things yeah. play out that bojack is going through and then they overlap it with um uh way in our, our season one 
discussion, like our pre-season one discussion, Sharon, you had mentioned that to you, this show was art. And Mm -hmm. this season, I think, really drove that point that you made home because they used the the very medium of animation so well in the visual storytelling Mm. with all of the different scenes overlapping, (coughs) you know, little details like um, a picture in the background shifts between the Sugarman family and the Horseman family. And it just kind of goes back and forth, switching between the two. They do wonderful things with the, with its own, within its own medium to, to tell this very uh, complicated and very complex mental illness and, and just represent it in this beautiful visual way. Um, You get this nice idyllic, like 1940s, uh, that looks bright and beautiful and and so vibrant and alive, and you know underneath it all is the same like there's misogyny there's you know this this man that is unable to relate to his own emotions or the emotions of his of his family um, uh, honey and and uh cracker jack the the son that goes off to war and dies they have this beautiful duet on the piano and Joseph Sugarman comes and slams the cover of the of the keys down almost on their hands, like just totally shuts them down. Like we're not allowed to have any fun. But hey, it's the 40s and everything is supposed to be bright and shiny and great, right? Like <laughs> they do a great job of of showing that even in this sort of idealized uh, picture of the past. Look at all this horrible stuff that's bubbling just under the surface, and then it finally does come to a head when Cracker Jack dies. God, there's so many, I don't want yeah. to be like gushing about this, about this, <laughs> but there's so many good things that came out of, out of this season. Um, and I mean, they should be nominated for an Emmy for this specific episode, if nothing else. Oh yeah. 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 I would say, and Hey, you know what? Maybe Sean Spicer will come back. Uh, <sighs> yeah. Time's okay. arrow, I think is, is my favorite one. Like out of the entire series so far, this is yeah. absolutely my favorite one. Yeah. I love what I, they do with the animation. I love how um, they, they just use the medium so well, and Beatrice is portrayed in such a an innocent way at first, and you understand her. Like you, you see things from her point of view as a child, and you understand that like the bullies at the top of the of the top of the slide and the the ladder seems so high up and they're up on this like pedestal and that fall is so far it's not that far it's a child slide but it feels like it happens forever and the bang on the ground is so devastating it's like everyone knows what it's like to have that happen to them on the playground and it just it humanizes her so much which is why the ending is so friggin' devastating. I mean, God, mm-hmm. talk about being left in a in a puddle on the floor by the end of it. The thing about that episode that that really got to me is something that I've that I came to kind of really started to come to terms with last year for myself, and I think a lot of us. It's true, is the fact that we have such a a specific view of our parents. Mm-hmm. And we and some of sometimes they do bad things and they do you know they treat you badly and all of those things and in no way does this excuse those things that they did. However, it it I, I came to realize that 
you know, my parents, you know, they had their own traumas and they had their own upbringing. And this is with Beatrice. It's again, she treated Bojack awfully. I, I'm not excusing that, but she was treated awfully and she, she never really had any positive treatment ever. She never had a positive model, like any, like her mother who was fairly positive had part of her brain ripped out. And it's Mm. the fact of, of it can allow you to give that person a certain amount of grace because yes, they were awful to you, but they were put through awful things and they are trying in their way it, it, as we said, Beatrice, in her awful way, was trying to protect Bojack. And she doesn't really know anything else that's illustrated in this. You know, she grows, she ends up growing up in a in a very cold and very um, cut off emotional emotionally cut off environment because all of the all of the music and all of the 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 life that used to be in her household is is removed which is from her mother and a little bit from her brother as well, because he, you know, unfortunately dies in the war, but also it's physically removed from, from her mother. And that just leaves her in this void. Um, so it, in a way it's like, well, and, and the fact that Joseph is so, um, he's so unable to deal with a simple thing. Like my daughter is sick. She has this horrible um, illness you know, like, uh, you know, she she ends up having scarlet fever at one point as a child. That's why she's coughing so much. That's why she's having trouble breathing. Um, and he's such, a, excuse me, but he's such an asshole that <laughs> yeah. he says, well, yeah. now that your throat is closed, you may be able to put off some of that weight that has been giving you so much trouble. Like, what a massive dick. Um, <sighs> and that's and that's the way. But I mean, that's. Uh, Again, like it's a reason why Beatrice is not allowed to have ice cream. It's a reason why she, you know, her mother. This was a cool thing too that I noticed that I was very proud of. In one of the flashbacks, Beatrice takes a painting that used to belong to Joseph. Takes like, oh, Bojack, I brought you this this painting. It belonged to your grandfather. Now there's a man who knew, you know, what marriage meant. There's a little cut back to him in his casket and she looks kind of sad about it, but she can't actually cry, which I think is a, a common thing for, you know, families like this. Like you can be sad that they're gone, but they can't actually express it. Um, and when Bojack goes to the fridge and opens the fridge, there's a bunch of lemons and cartons with sugar written on them. That was the, the treat that was allowed in her household. That was what Beatrice was allowed to have instead of a freezy pop, instead of ice cream. Her mother told her that she could have lemons with a little bit of sugar sprinkled on it. Mm. And I thought that was just a, a lovely little callback to that. In all seriousness, this uh, season felt like it was supposed to be about uh, Bojack and Hollyhock, but it ended up being about Bojack and Beatrice, um, which it's kind of a, a sucker punch mm. in that you're sort of like you're you're leading up to this massive reconciliation between him and, and, and Hollyhock. And he is a dick to her and. Um, I accidentally caught sight of uh, the fact that she was in seven episodes in this season. I was like, oh, shit, what's he going to do that's going to exclude her from the tail end of this season? 
and it made perfect sense. But the finale and the fact that he's doing something good for another person without the least bit of interest in, in how this reflects on him and just the idea that he could do this good thing for her and not be credited at all and for her not to even know that he'd done it. This is the sign of that growth that we were talking about at the end of season three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That he's actually becoming a person, someone who can... I mean, that's love right there. And so the the, the final conversation, we figured out the whole um, who Hollyhock was, like, just after um, the bomb was dropped about Henrietta. Um, so... And I, you know, I said, but that does make her his half brother. And then it was 22 minutes of watching Bojack finally coming around to realizing that, and he had to be told. But specifically, he was told in a way that embraces him. And that little smile he gives, I just thought, right, I don't need oh. to see a single other episode of Bojack ever again. <laughs> if they never do any more, and they will, but yeah. if they never do any more, that's the best ending. I, mm-hmm. One thing I really did like about the way they played that out, though, was the, the, the space between when they know perfectly well the audience has tweaked what's going on mm-hmm. and the end where it is openly discussed. Mm-hmm. There's these little, they keep putting A and B next to each other. I think they have mm-hmm. uh, Hollyhock doll yeah. or, or the, the doll Bojack's next staring to a at a boatload of, of evidence of, of his father <laughs> just can't work it out <laughs> just lampshading the whole thing which I thought was really funny well but, you know the again, thing about DNA is that it's well, it's not precise and it <laughs> yeah. it could be the DNA it could not it may have been a Simpson, but maybe not necessarily OJ Simpson. It could have been a father or a brother. And like, yeah, they spill it all out right in that episode, and he's just like, nice. oh, right at the end, he gets it. Mm-hmm. But but again, that the the arc of of Bojack's progress in this being that he has tried repeatedly in the past to be a father mm. and hasn't been able to. He is now being thrown an opportunity to be a big brother, and. And that's kind of a stepping stone to being able to be a father. It's a practice run. It's something that you can do without having the weight of responsibility mm. around your neck. Or if you never become a father and you're just really good at that, yeah, that is absolutely a that perfectly might turn great out to be his role thing. to be in. And he might be really good at that. I love the fact that in in that that we get to see something, yeah, Bojack being genuinely selfless, and he's not hes not very good at it, he's still struggling, but he is, he's genuinely, genuinely trying to do the right thing for someone else, for unselfish reasons, and, mm-hmm. and things do go wrong, but for once, not through no fault of his. Yeah, he did not screw this up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought for sure it was going to turn out that, oh, she overdosed on amphetamine pills because he had left them out somewhere she found them. No, yeah, yeah. it genuinely was not something Bojack caused. Mm. And yet he took it up to make it right. He yeah. took yeah. up the cause to fix it and actually was like, I'm leaving it here and now I'm going to go away. I'm going to let it be. It's actually really appropriate that he ends up as a brother figure because when Hollyhock comes to him, the like she's an adult. The the first like nearly twenty years of her life has uh, elapsed. That's most of the legwork of like that's the hard hard work of being uh, the father. It carries on and on, but like the the real like being a dad stuff has already all that legwork's been done by the sixteen legs, not counting four legs of her existing <laughs> fathers. Um, 
but uh, like the the idea that she could see him as different to them, that making him special. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think also there's there is significance in the fact that she is 17, which is the same age as Penny, and yeah. Penny was supposed to be Harper. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and then this is the I, I made a, a veiled reference to it earlier. Um, like Bojack, if Bojack was still on the same fucked up trajectory, he would have tried to be a dad to Hollyhock, and then when it turned out he wasn't her father, had sex with her, and then you've got this completely twist, like really fucked up, twisted situation yeah. at the end. Like all like the the Sarah Lynn thing doesn't it doesn't get more fucked up than that, but. No. The um, you know, it's it's a it's a scar you for life situation, uh, and the fact that it didn't even go vaguely in that direction shows that he has got a growth curve. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I really like Hollyhock as well. I really oh yeah, she's like lovely. The way she's, mm-hmm. she's presented as somebody who is, um, she's optimistic, but she's not daft. She knows what life is. She knows what goes on. She's not, but she's, it hasn't made her cynical. Mm-hmm. Um, she is capable of seeing the truth in situations and actually choosing to do the good thing anyway, mm. which she does repeatedly with um, Beatrice. Now, admittedly, she doesn't have the history with Beatrice, um, but she, she keeps putting herself out to be kind to her. Yeah. There's a nice uh, knowing that Beatrice was them. killing her. Mm. Oh God, yeah. There is a nice moment with her and uh, and Bojack. I think it's at the end of the uh, stupid piece of shit episode, which is another really great standout oh, one in 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 visually showing depression and what it's like inside the the mind of somebody who's constantly like beating themselves down and and that like weird vicious cycle that they go through. They they do a really nice job of of showing that visually as well. That idea of this is what it's like inside Bojack's head at all times. At the at the end of the episode, they're both kind of sitting by the pool, and she asks him, like, this is just a dumb teenage girl thing, right? Like, this this goes away. That voice in your head that tells you you're bad and you're miserable and you're a piece of shit, it stops, right? And he's like, yeah, it goes away. Like, it hasn't completely gone away for, for him, but it could go away for her. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the kind of scary thing about that though, is that, you know, Hollyhock brings up an excellent point that dementia is hereditary. Well, depression can be hereditary too. So mm-hmm. gotta watch out for that. <laughs> <sighs> that, that episode, I, I, I was going to bring it up since, but since you did Maya, um, it, that episode was my favorite episode of the season and, and mm. it, not to diminish the Beatrice stuff, which which is amazing and great and <clears throat> excellent, but that episode that episode hit me like a Mack truck because mm-hmm. I have never heard that voice in your head. I've had that voice in my head. I ha- still have that voice in my head at times, and I've never heard it so partic- so perfectly articulated. It, it it kind of blew me away because I'm like, that's it. That's that's what it's like a lot of the time when you have depression. It's It doesn't matter what you do. Your brain get, calls you a stupid piece of shit. And every name in the book and 
and it's it relentless. Was, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And it finds a thousand new ways to make you feel awful every day. <laughs> and uh, it talks so fast you can't interrupt it. Yeah. And it yeah, happens it, so fast that you, like, you can't stop yourself from, like, stop, stop, stop eating the cookies. Cookies are not breakfast. Why are you still, you know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> it, just, it just keeps happening. I mean, like, you can't just stop and, and let, and, and I think, Debbie, I think that if, if that, like, that episode is a perfect, uh, you can make a perfectly valid case for that being one of the most important episodes of the entire series so far. Like, hmm. I I am all aboard, you know, somebody saying this is my favorite one with, you know, there's excellent reason for it. Um, it didn't hit me in quite the same way, but it's it's up there. It's so it certainly is. And if if anyone else were to say, no, this was my favorite one. This is the one that hit me the most. Totally understandable. Perfectly good reason. Thank you. <laughs> oh, mm. also, the other thing about it, too, that hit me is the way. The way sometimes you get in that stuck in that space in your head and you're not aware of you're oblivious to time passing and you look mm-hmm. up and it usually hasn't been when I for me, it hasn't been like days or, you know, half a day, but it I'll look up and half an hour's gone by. And it's like, wait, what? Wait, wait. Where did that time go? What? What? <laughs> and this is this is part of the reason this ties back to that idea of, of you have to do the thing every day. And it does mm. get easier, but you have to do it every day. And that's the hard part. That's the hard this part. Is one of the, yeah, this is one of the reasons why it's hard. Because the voice in your head is either <laughs> straight out telling you don't do that thing, or what's the point in you doing that thing, or you couldn't do that thing even if you tried, who are you trying to kid? If it's not doing that, it's just talking about other stuff to distract you from doing the thing. And before you know it, three days have passed and you haven't done the thing every day. And then you start thinking, well, there's no point in doing it now because I've missed three days. And I'm just a piece of shit. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah that cycle yeah. just continues. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And before you know it, you're having cookies for breakfast. Anyway. <laughs> uh-huh. And you yeah. went out at like 11 a.m. to get milk. And now it's night. And you're like, it's and night. I spent all day at the bar. <laughs> anyway, now we're all about smoothies. What? Smoothies. You're saying smoothies, right? Smoothies? No, smoothies. It's a mood that you drink like a smoothie. I don't understand. How do you drink a mood? Like a smoothie. So it is a smoothie. No, it's a smoothie. A mood that you drink. How do you drink a mood? Like a smoothie. But do you buy it in a store? I mean, what are the physical attributes? Look, our launch parties tonight, and we'd love it if you came. We spared no expense. That's how confident we are in our product. Your product, smoothies. Yes. Wait, did you say smoothies or smoothies? Because we only make... Which one do we make? I like to think the smoothies make us. Ah, I could tell by your tone that that was something smart. Oh, my God. So we're going to wrap this one up now because <laughs> okay. we have talked for hours on Jack, <laughs> But we will be back with season five. Um, I, I think we will because uh, we're, we're on for the long haul on this one. Oh, yeah. I think so. Yeah. And they just announced uh, that it got renewed for season five like a couple of yeah. days ago. Nice. So it's official. Uh-huh. It feels like this That's is going to be a show that is going to be allowed to actually end, which is good. But even if all they do is end it in a, such a, like, knock it out of the park way as they did in the last episode of 4, 
Even if that isn't there, we definitely want this to be our last episode. Definite closer. Let's tie up all loose ends. It's... I trust them to be able to do a last episode of whatever season if they don't get picked up. That does end satisfyingly. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think it will, because even if it ended here, um, I think, Kairu, one of the things you said before was that you want to feel okay about leaving Bojack alone. Yeah. (laughs) I'm okay with leaving him alone after that last episode. Mm -hmm. I'm not okay with leaving peanut butter and diana yeah that's the funny thing is that i'm not okay with leaving (laughs) the other characters alone now maybe Tom a little bit because he's he's getting along okay but you mean former former governor of california todd chavez you mean (laughs) yeah (laughs) but yeah that's the weird thing is like i'm okay with leaving bojack alone but now i'm not okay with oh my god like no this needs this needs a resolution yeah okay so Thank you very, very much, you guys, for coming on. It's been wonderful again to to have you. Um, where can people find your stuff, uh, Karu and Debbie? Go for it. Um, you can find me primarily at sequentially-yours.com, where I uh, look into comic books. Um, I do a little bit of reviews, but mostly I try to do uh, close readings, uh, and Debbie and I do... Uh, comic book movies together, like videos of that. Debbie? Uh, the main place to find me is on Twitter, uh, best at 8300 I believe you can find me that way or by just Debbie Morse. Um, I do have a YouTube show. Uh, or It's called Hats Off. Um, I have one video on there so far, but I have one video. <laughs> so, yeah, that's where you can find me. I am on Twitter quite uh, frequently at Maya Santandrea. Uh, I'm usually talking about nerdy stuff, as I mentioned before. Um, I've got a couple of episodes of the show Star and uh, The Tail End of MacGyver I was on. I'm going to be back on the originals very soon. So kind of my usual cycle of of television that has been going on for the past few years, which, yay, consistency. Um, (laughs) Also... If you go back um, to some of the earlier episodes of the video game podcast, Kane and Rince, um, I was a guest for them when they talked about the absolutely wonderful, beautiful indie game Undertale. Um, I was very proud of that episode. I think it turned out really well. And it's such a fantastic game. And it, I have such love for it, even you know, two years after the fact. I'm very passionate about that game, and I, I was very happy with how our discussion went. So um, that was released earlier this year. So if you go in their back catalog, it's from probably late February, early March of this year. I'm going to second the recommendation of Kane and Rince. We go back a long, long way with those guys. And uh, they uh, if, if you're looking for deep dives of the equivalent to the way we go deep on movies, on mm-hmm. video games, Absolutely. that's the podcast to go for. Yeah, they're great. Okay, uh, so we'll see you in probably about a year's time for Bojack Season 5. A shorter show this time, we think. Yes. <laughs> Famous okay. last words. Yeah, duplicate your files, and then we won't have to redo Season 3 again. Yes. Okay, right. So I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And school's out. What? Oh, Christ. Holly Huck. Hi. How are you? Listen, I wanted to thank you for finding my mom. They told you? Not exactly. They have this secret dad language they think I don't understand, but it's super obvious what they're saying.
<laughs> You're too smart for your own good. So, yeah, I've been talking to Henrietta on the phone, and she seems really nice. Really? Wow. I'm going to visit her in Minneapolis. I'm at the airport right now. Right now? That's incredible. No. What's incredible is this place at the airport charged me $10 for a cup of fruit. What? And get this. It's like 90% honeydew. Are you kidding me? Why? What on-the-go jet setter is demanding more honeydew in his or her fruit cup? Nobody ever wants honeydew, but it's always there. It is literally the worst part of everything it's in. It's like the Jared Leto of fruits. Thank you. Exactly. Hmm. Well... Anyway, they're about to start boarding, so... Hollyhock, I'm sorry I didn't take better care of you. I shouldn't have moved in with you. It was maybe too much too fast. Yeah. But it wasn't all bad. I mean, yeah, I got secretly drugged for months on end to the point where I was living a nightmare in which I couldn't recognize my own body or understand what was happening to my brain, but other than that, it was a pretty chill experience. I should have protected you. I really wanted to be a good dad to you, Hollyhock. Well, turns out you're not my dad at all. Yeah. Good thing, I guess. Yeah. Good thing. So, uh, Minneapolis, huh? Did you rent a car or a cab? Oh, Jack, it's all taken care of. I gotta go. Is there anything uh, I can do? I can, I can upgrade your seats or, or send you better fruit? Oh, Jack, look, I never needed you to be a dad. I'm going to be fine. I told you from the beginning I have eight dads. Yeah. Yeah. Good. But I've never had a brother... They come slow, they go like the last light of the sun, all in a blaze. All you see is glory, but it gets lonely there when there's no one there to share. You can shake it away. If you hear a story. People lust for fame Like athletes in a game They break their collarbones And come up swinging Some of them are crowned Some of them are downed Some are lost and never found But most have seen it all They live their lives inside cafes and music halls And they always have a story Some make it when they are 
before the world is done its dirty job. Later on, someone will say you've had your day. Now you must make way. Don't they always? But you never know the pain of using a name you never owned. The years of forgetting what you know too well. That you who gave the crown have been let down. You tried to make amends. Without defending, perhaps pretending you never saw the eyes of young men at twenty-five. Who followed as you walked, asked for autographs. Kissed you on the cheek. You never could believe they really loved you. Never. Some make it when they're old. Perhaps they have a soul they aren't afraid to bear. story since we all have stories but I can't remember it anyway so I'll tell about the mood that's in the United States today and permeating even Switzerland it goes
story that I know is the one that I'm supposed to go out with. And the latest story that I know is the one that I'm supposed to go out with. And the latest story that I know is the one that I'm supposed to go out with. And the latest story that I know is the one that I'm supposed to go out with. Feeling. Nothing more than feelings, feelings, nothing more than feelings, feelings of love, you know that.